0: Joe
1: Rogan podcast, check it out. The Joe Rogan experience.
0: Train by day, Joe Rogan podcast by night, all day.
1: Um, CNN at one point in time, when Bourdain had a show on, they were doing some very interesting things. They were trying to uh, do shows, not just the news, right? So they had no No Reservations was the best one of them, where they had, you know, they just told Anthony Bourdain, just be you and just do what you do. Do your best version of your show. And they really just get out of the way. And it was fucking amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So they got out of his way, they let him be the yeah. best of himself. Yeah. They figured yeah. out how to do that. You know, Kamal Bell had a really good show too. Is that show still on? I don't think so. Though. What was that show called? I'm sorry I forget the name of these shows. But uh W Kamal Bell was really good at being like calm he's shades of america shades of united shades of america really good at being calm like talking to like kkk people (laughs) and he's black and he's a comic but he's just like a very nice guy he's a very nice guy like a genuinely nice guy in real life and so when he's doing a show even when he's confronted by the most ignorant racists and he, he can have conversations with them. And, then and, you know, they're like, well, you're not like the others. You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the
0: best kind of journalism, you know. You, you, got yes. to, you, you can properly immerse yourself in those worlds.
1: Yeah, and CNN did that for a while. You know, they had that other show, was it Radical, with uh, that one gentleman who, um, Reza Aslan, is that his name? That was another good show. They did some interesting stuff. They did like quite a few interesting shows where they were just shows. It wasn't what it is now, which is this like bizarre version of news TikTok, oh, right. just grabbing you with everything that's going <laughs> to terrify you every day. And there's so much to terrify you from about today. You know?
0: Yeah, 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 it's, uh, they, they seem to have lost the art of storytelling.
1: Yeah, it's In very unfortunate. Way. So, ladies and gentlemen, we started this podcast after a long conversation about Anthony Bourdain. <laughs> but I felt like we were already rolling, so let's just roll into it. Um, I really enjoyed you on Trigonometry, oh, and that's you. why I wanted to uh, talk to you here. Because it's just, I think your book is The Status Game. That's right, yeah. And I think what's really interesting about what you're you're talking about, um, mechanisms... That make people understand like behavior patterns in a way instead of just accepting them You know because I think a lot of people fall into accepting behavior patterns but what you're what you're showing is like these Status games that human beings play they're sort of wired into our, our being and if we don't recognize them They can get hijacked by far-right movements, or far-left movements, or a lot of different things can happen that can really screw your yeah, life up yeah. if you get hijacked by these just normal mechanisms of human thinking. That's right,
0: that's right. So I, I think sort of the general thesis is that the humans want two things. They want connection into groups, and then once they're in the group, they want status. So, so, so um, you know, it's, it's not enough to feel like we're a Christian, we have to be a good Christian, and right. that means following certain rules. And, and, and that's, what, that's what brains just want to do. That, that brains don't really care about what's true. Brains are always asking this question, who do I have to be and what do I have to believe in order to earn connection and status? Yes. And we're all vulnerable to this stuff. And yes. that's how people end up believing fucking crazy things, because
1: the brain's just believing what it has to believe. I've seen it with people that get what, what you call audience capture. Yeah, absolutely. Their audience, they find they get some love. You can only if you're doing it politically. You can only do it once. It's a dangerous (laughs) move. It's like changing genders. Like you can't go (laughs) male to female and then back to male again. It's fucking. It's too complicated. It's a one shot deal. Yeah, you get one shot. If you start out a liberal, you're a lifelong liberal, and then at 36, all of a sudden you become like the most hardcore right wing Republican. (laughs) Like (sighs) that seems like I. Well, what did you believe before, and what happened? did you take mushrooms? Did you (laughs) fall on your head? (laughs) Did something happen where you just radically changed your ideology? Or did you get captured by the idea of being accepted with much more vigor by the other side? Like that's one thing that they really do enjoy when someone bails Mm. on the other side. Mm. And then again, you can only do it once, but you get like really embraced that's right,
0: and, and and the more you embrace, the more you um, believe. And, and yes, you, yeah, I mean, there's this concept that I write about that I, I call it active belief. Like there are loads of beliefs that we have, like how long is the Mississippi River? You know, what how do you, what, what is coffee? Like we don't argue about these beliefs, but there are certain categories of belief that that possess us, and these are the beliefs that 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 we form our identity around, and they're the beliefs that we plug our status into. So you, you know, like if you're a Christian, it's like I believe. Jesus died and then three days later got up. And and as I said, you know, like these beliefs are kind of dangerous because they take us over. It's not enough just to believe them passively. You have to act them out with your life. Mm. And so that these are the beliefs that drive things like the satanic panic, cult movements, communism, Nazism, Um These are beliefs that sort of possess people and take them over. It's like a parasite. They're kind of scary things, but as I said, you know, we're all vulnerable to these kind of active beliefs.
1: I am fascinated by cult documentaries, and uh, (laughs) I was talking to my friend Todd. We were talking about Wild Wild Country, and we Uh, both said the same thing. God, in the beginning, it looked awesome. (laughs) In the beginning, they were were having so much fun. And I think of myself at twenty-one. And I, I had no real, like, confidence in my view of the world. Mm. I had no—I was 21. I was a, a young dummy. Yeah. I did not know, you know, what was correct and what was incorrect. I, I, I had a general sense. My family was very left-wing. We grew up—my parents were hippies in San Francisco. So I had sort of an ideology attached to that. But I had no idea— how anything in the world worked, yeah. And if I ran into the wrong yoga teacher, <laughs> <laughs> no, but
0: that's it. But but, that, but, but that's how humans work, uh, you know, with this tribal animal, yeah. and we uh, and and nobody has any idea how the world works until they plug into a group, and the group has its stories that it tells about how the world works. Every group has its model of what a hero is, yeah. and this set of beliefs a hero has, and and once we've plugged into that group, we, you know, we orient ourselves towards becoming that, yes. that person. And, you know, cults are interesting because cults are like, all human groups are kind of cults, but looser. So so yeah. e- every human group is a status game in the sense that it's a, a group of people who um, believe the same things and there's sort of rules for being part of that group. And the more, the, the better you become at following those rules and, be, and becoming its ideal of self, uh, the higher you rise up that status game. The only difference between cult and a religion and a business and a political group is just it's much tighter, so mm-hmm. the rules are much stricter. Like, there's a zillion rules. Like, um, you know, I've written before about um, uh, what they call the 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 uh, they, they, there was the what was the cult that they cut their they castrated themselves, yeah, Heaven's Gate, Heaven's Gate. That's yeah. right, yeah, and they had rules even about like how much toothpaste you're allowed to put on your your toothbrush <laughs> they had a they had a rule about exactly how how scrambled eggs were to be cooked and the rule was dry but not burnt so th- there was a rule about how much bar- water you put in your bathtub and and was
1: the leader ca- was he castrated as well no, he wasn't surprisingly enough. Really? Yeah, they were called T and Doe, and yeah, there he is, T.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Just, just yeah. imagine
1: you are <laughs> so low in your life that you think that's the guy that has all the answers. Um, boss, is, it, a, yeah, yeah, is yeah. that a tribal thing? This is what I've always assumed that that's just some holdover from when we were a part of groups of 150 people that needed a leader. And generally that leader would be some old warlord, he's probably like 35, like, you know, back then. But he like, had gone through a lot and was a strong leader, was someone that you admired as a leader. And maybe in, in these tribal times, that's baked into our DNA. And when someone comes along and speaks confidently, yeah. I am never confident. I'm yeah. never <laughs> confident, about it. if you're so confident about all these thoughts, and about where, what life is about, and where we're going, and what awaits us. And if you follow these rules, God, that's so confident. I'm not that confident. So I could get sucked in. Yeah, Any I, human could get sucked in, but is that what it's from? Is it from tribal times? Y- yes and no. So one of the really
0: surprising things about tribes, the tribes in which we evolved, is, is that the idea of the big man is a bit of a myth. So, that, so, so they were kind of leaderless. Like Leaders would bubble up by consensus when, say, we wanted to solve a particular problem to do with hunting. Mm-hmm. Then the best hunters would be deferred to. And what do you
1: think? Um, so, the big at some point in time, they became leaders. I mean, they've yeah, been leaders for so long. When we settled down. So, when so, was so, that? Like agriculture days? Yeah, it was about 11,000 years ago. But don't you think that's enough to bake it into our DNA?
0: I, I don't know. Well, I think what is in our DNA is that idea of a... Um, stories. So, so you know, we, we, we're storytelling animals. We think in stories. Every tribe has its particular story about the world, and so we we're very good at channeling those stories. And 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 as I said, every story has its design of what is a hero, and we we try and become that kind of hero. So so, so that's that holdover from the from the from the tribal day. But more fundamentally, is again, it's that that brain question of. Who do I have to be? What do I have to do? Tell me what I have to do in order to achieve connection and status, and that's what a cult does. It's and that's what a charismatic leader does. It tells you this is what you've got to do. Mm. These are the rules. This is you have. To, this is who you have to become, and that's really seductive to us subconsciously because those those two things of connection and status are so incredibly important to us.
1: Yeah, it's. <laughs> Is it, is it something you think should be taught, like, very early on? It seems like this is information we should get to kids as young as we can yeah, so they can recognize these patterns that people fall into. Absolutely. I, I've always thought that, that there should be a lesson in school about what is a
0: human, what is the op- basic yeah. operating system manual for a human, and these are the mistakes that humans make. Because, as I said, you know, one of the sort of big ideas is that we we're not particularly interested in the truth. We don't the truth is it doesn't matter to human brains. What matters is what do I what
1: what do I have to believe in order to for people to like me and respect yeah. me? Yeah. Well, that's why religions, like even radical religions are so intoxicating. Like you have to be all in, you're part of a very special group. And you all love each other like brothers and sisters because you're part of this group. Yeah. And you can come up with some radical (laughs) ideas and get people to subscribe to that, especially if you attach things like death for people who leave. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, That's That's that's, right. uh, You're operating in some... Red line territory. like yeah. that's a wild group. And and the religions and the cults always do that thing of offering amazing rewards. But of course, at some heaven. point in the future, Bro, heaven. <laughs> yeah, it's the best it's spot the best ever. ever. Yeah. and the, the version of heaven differs between how bad the place where you live sucks. Yeah, like, I mean, yeah.
0: <laughs> and it's like I think there's like there's like eight and a half billion people in the world, and the amount of I think it's like five hundred. Million atheists. So that just shows you how many, yeah. just, just how wired we are to believe basically any old shit we're told to believe, as long as it, we feel like it's going to get a status and secure
1: connection into a supportive group. We were, I remember during the suicide bomber days when that was something that was in the news all the time, they talked about 72 virgins. Mm. And that these gentlemen thought that they were going to get 72 virgins in heaven. Like, that is so cultural. Yeah. Like, if you offered 72 virgins to a Christian, they'd be like, what the fuck are you talking about? I'm not fucking any virgins, you crazy psycho. How old are they? What are you saying? I'm not a pedophile, dude. I just like women. Yeah. Like, what the uh, fuck? Uh, you know uh, what I'm saying? Uh, it's like
0: uh, Yeah, I but I'm not sure how to, I mean I'm, I don't know if that 72 virgins thing is true. I think it could be like 21-year-old
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. versions <laughs> that have been saved for this moment by the great one. I I but think, I think I, that term is not real. I think the term 72 virgins is like saying how, how many, you know, how many times have you lost your phone? A fucking million. Yeah. It's like <laughs> yeah, that kind of yeah. a, you know, it's, not, it's an exaggeration. But I think the real pro- I think the real promise there though. I mean, the 72
0: virgins is, yeah, but, but I think the real promise for Suicide Bombers is, again, its status. It's like yeah. if you sacrifice your life on behalf of the group's mission, you're a hero. You're like a god. Yeah. And so, so, so that's the promise. And, and again, I think it's a really good example of how human beings value status over their lives. Yeah. I mean, that's how much we value status. We, we're, we're the only animal that kills ourselves, which is just a weird thing in itself. That an animal would voluntarily end its own life. And very often the reason that people kill themselves is because it's a sudden drop in status or they feel completely isolated and alone. So it so, says so they're lacking in those essential kind of psychological resources to such an extent that they, you know, end their own lives. And, and, and that's how much we value these things. And suicide bombers are another manifestation of that. Like, yeah. like if you're going to consider me a hero and if Mohammed is going to consider me a hero, strap me up, brother. You know, <sighs> that, 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 that's how much... That that's how crazy we
1: become about these these social rewards. God, that is such an insane belief. It's so insane and when the the most evil thing is when you hear about them talking kids into doing it. Yeah. You know, a young child, you know, you're getting a, I mean, what is the youngest suicide bomber they've ever used? I don't know. Just the idea that you can buy into it so much that you're willing to let your children go do that
0: yeah but i uh, it's wild it, it's uh, it's it's evil if you think it's this kind of calculating um uh kind of mathematical algorithm of advantage but 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 they sincerely believe it yes. they they really believe it's true right i mean you know i've been as a when i before i was, an author, I was a journalist i've been meeting kind of crazy people including nazis um as part of my journalistic career. And that's one of the things that always strikes me is that they, they really believe it. So it's not even in the sense that, um, they, that they're doing anything calculating by talking their children to being suicide bombers. They think they're doing something heroic. Yes. They think they're doing
1: something amazing yes. as did the Nazis as did, as did yeah. the communists as, yeah, as does the KKK yeah. people, yeah. they can fall into belief structures and they, they don't necessarily have to make sense. But if they find enough supportive people around them that also believe that, then it becomes part of their tribe identity. Yeah, and it can get—it can be really stupid. <laughs> it can be yeah. Really stupid. We're yeah. fucking way more vulnerable than we would like to believe. That's one of the things that I was saying. Like when I watched those cult documentaries, part of me is like, thank God I didn't run into those people. Thank God. Yeah.
0: They yeah. would have got me. And when, and when they look at the psychology of people that are vulnerable to falling into cults, it's very often people that have struggled to. Fit into the status games of ordinary life. Yeah. So they've got the family hasn't worked, the job hasn't worked, exactly. the hobbies haven't worked. So they've got no identity, they've got no tribe. So they're really vulnerable to these cults, which, because what cults offer is absolute certainty. Yeah. If you cook your scrambled eggs this way, if you uh, only put two inches of water in your bath, you're going to, the, 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 you know, the, um the ufo's will come down and, <laughs> and they're going to take you to the level above that that's what they were offering to you yeah, though, the you have level to, above human wear the nike's yeah. though remember you have to wear the purple nike's yeah. uh, but yeah, that's right and there's this crazy memoir of one of one of one of the guys who was in this group he, he cut he didn't. He didn't cut his own balls off. He left before the ball cutting, but he was. <laughs> but he was jealous. Like, like he, he, he wanted jealous? to have his balls cut, and there was no. only there was only one person that could have it done at the beginning. And oh. I had to, they flipped a coin, and he was really annoyed that he lost the coin flip.
1: Oh and, my god! Uh, but what was
0: interesting about his memoir was he said that people talk about brainwashing in cults, and people talk about, and people talk about um, how we were forced to follow these rules, but we wanted to follow the rules. Like not following the rules would be like being a NASA astronaut and just not caring about how the. space shuttle works, you know, so, 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 so they're not, they don't consider themselves brainwashed. They consider themselves, well, they're just in a status game, yeah. like, like any other status game. It's just a very, very strict one.
1: Right. Well, that's why, you know, one of the fascinating things about some cults is that they use very bizarre language and that they all agree to it. They have yeah. like specific terms that they say. Like, doesn't Scientologists, they'll call people, they have, like, an abbreviation for someone who's, like, a hostile person? What is it that they do? Because I remember someone was was explaining to me, someone who left... The church was explaining to me how, like, if someone would be hostile, you have, like, a very specific way you describe yeah. them. Yeah. And that they all do it in the yeah. group. And they, it's S- like. Suppressive persons. That suppressive persons. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you're a suppressive person. Or potential trouble sources. <laughs> Dude, I ordered Dianetics in, like, 1994. I had just moved to L.A. and I thought it was a self-help book. I was like, all right, <laughs> yeah, fucking look at Your brain's going to yeah. explode. Yeah. you got to get your shit together. Look at all these people that are succeeding <laughs> on Dianetics. You know, I was 26 or whatever I was. So I ordered this book and they have never stopped sending me things. Oh, no. I mean, they fucking never stopped sending me things. Was there ever a point when you thought, hang on a minute, this is great? No, no. All right. No, no. Once I realized it was Scientology, I was like, uh, oh, yeah, Dianetics yeah. is Scientology? Yeah. I was like, okay. But then part of me was like, damn, a lot of these Scientologists are doing really well in Hollywood. <laughs> <Like> maybe that's <laughs> a good <laughs> cult to yeah. join. Yeah. Maybe if they just let me be me. Because it seems like that was part of it. There was a big allure of how many successful people were following that religion. I mean, some of the most successful actors. Tom Cruise is one of the most successful actors of all time, and he's literally the poster boy for that.
0: Yeah, that's right. Somebody was saying to me the other day that they thought that actors were particularly susceptible to Scientology because they've got this weird... They don't really have an identity actors. They, they were always sort of slipping into everybody at different people's right. identities. I thought that was a interesting Especially if you're kind really good. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. You probably lose who the fuck you are. Yeah. Who am I? Am I Rocky? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> am I the exactly.
0: Mission Impossible guy? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, then, well it, when they're walking around, everybody treats them that way. Like, I'm sure they treat Stallone
1: like he's Rocky. And, yeah. You've know. you got to give respect to Tom Cruise, though, because Tom Cruise is like 60 years old and he still does his own stunts, including yeah. jumping a motorcycle off a cliff. Yeah. That's but, how much yeah. he believes in this yeah. G- stuff. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but that's but that's why these, these these groups are kind of functional as well. It's uh-huh. like I kind of have a weird kind of sympathy. Like when, when I grew up in a very strict Catholic household with very strict Catholic parents, and I was very I hated it. I was very rebellious as a teenager, and I guess in my twenties and thirties I was very very atheist and you know hated religion. Um, but but then i kind of did a lot of this research and I, and when you once you accept that what humans need to do, be healthy psychologically and physically is connection and status you see that, that that's actually what religion provides people that that's what religion provides my parents right, is right, that right. Th- they're connected into a community and they feel important yeah. they feel they're good catholics because my dad yeah. conducts the choir and y- y- you know this that and the other and so that that that's invaluable that's what humans need to survive and in our you know in, in the in in the current world, in the huge uh, populations in which we live, it's very hard to feel securely connected. I mean, you you said a moment ago, the tribes in which we evolved were very small, like 30 to 50 people. So it was quite easy to feel securely connected. It was quite easy in that environment to feel important, like valued by other people. I mean, probably, it was not rare in the tribe to feel invaluable, like you're needed because everybody was needed. There wasn't many people around to find the tubers and catch the rabbits or whatever. Um, but in this day and age, in these huge groups in which we belong to, it's it's much harder to feel relative status because you're competing with millions of people, especially online. So and I think that's a source of a huge amount of sort of mid misery in the modern world, a stress, a sort of and I call it an identity anxiety, you know, identity yeah. stress. We are we, 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 uh, we feel really unsatisfied with the amount of connection and status that we have because we we
1: we exist in these fucking massive international tribes now. I, I think there's another factor, and the the other factor is I think because of the nature of uh, commuting and public transportation mm. and of uh, g- going to work all day and then you know you know being under someone else's control most of the day, and then commuting home. You I think we're conversation starved. Yeah. I think the way human beings figure out what's the best way to behave and what's the, the nicest way that we can all get along, what, what makes the most sense, is when we talk the most. Yeah. And most of the day, you can't really talk. Most of the day, you can't sit down for a couple hours like this and just say why do we behave this way why is there this weird p- pattern that is so strong it's so such a tightly cut groove that cutting your balls off and wearing purple sneakers <laughs> yeah. becomes appealing yeah. like yeah. it could fit right yeah. in there yeah. like yeah. it seems to be there's like a pathway for this
0: yeah and, and, and what and, and that's how humans communicate is you know we, we sit down and we tell stories yeah. to each other
1: and, and and if we don't get to talk yeah absolutely we're, we're very lucky we get yeah. to talk yeah but most people don't get to talk like this. Yeah, they don't a, have the time. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, and, and that's to our huge cost. Yes. Like it really, because where do we get the stories from? We get them from social media. We get them from the news, which is increasingly politicized and hysterical. Yeah. And so we, you know, the outrage goes up. Like if you're a used
1: up. car salesman and you talk to people, you're bullshitting people all day long. When do you ever turn the bullshit <laughs> off? Do you know <laughs> how to anymore? You probably become a used car salesman forever.
0: Yeah. Well, that's what we do. I mean, that's that's a perfect example of how the status games work. Is that, that used car salesman is a status game, and it right. has its particular um, m- model of self, which right. which we kind of the brain identifies and turns us into.
1: By the way, I should just say there's a lot of very cool used yeah, car salesmen. I don't want to pick it's on, just a joke. Yeah, yeah, it's like it's salesman. a term, but there, you know, you do know there's a difference between salespeople that are just real friendly folks and then super saily guys <laughs> yeah. and those yeah. super saily guys I'm like how does that guy turn that off like that's such a bullshit way to talk yeah john, john paul sartre wrote about
0: this he called it bad faith and he, he was sitting in a cafe in paris at uh, one time and he was watching the waiter and he realized that the waiter was just behaving like a waiter like a like a classic <laughs> Parisian waiter he's going look at his movements and he was, was just really annoying um... that john paul sartre so he called it he's acting in bad faith he's doing the dance of the waiter that's not really who he is right he's just he's just being the waiter right. and he's so there's the dance of the auctioneer. There's the dance of the used car salesman. Yes. and and that's kind of what we do. And the I think dance well, of the strip club DJ. Yeah, and the dance <laughs> of the member of the cult. You know, yeah. like, like dance but, but,
1: of the lead singer of a rock and roll yeah. band. Yeah, and,
0: and and that's that's what that's what the brain does though. It it yeah. it, 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 it it identifies. Okay, what group am I in? Yeah. what
1: does a hero look like? Right, I've got to turn myself into this person. Yeah, that was a giant thing in stand-up to the point where uh, the the punchline in Atlanta, Georgia had a back green room and people would write on the walls and someone wrote in big letters, quit trying to be hicks. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <That's beautiful. laughs> when jamie yeah. tore the place yeah. down he's not this uh, jamie yeah. jamie that owns the club t- tore the place down he swore he saved that for me uh, i want that little piece of memorabilia yeah because it was it was just so there were so many people that saw hicks and were like god he's so profound i want to be profound but you don't have shit to say you don't even I read know. <laughs> it's like, i know it's do we like, talk about
0: dennis leary in this uh, uh, uh there's no need to okay <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's no
1: need to but okay. yeah okay i've said enough about oh, that okay But yeah, there's there's just a lot of that. There's a lot of uh, posturing. You know, like yeah. that's not really how you feel, yeah. but you see how this is appealing, and you see that there's a pattern that seems to be successful, and then you just mimic that pattern, mock that pattern. Yeah, and it, th- and
0: that's why it's so incredible when someone comes along and does something in that space that's new yes. but still works. Like that's like for me the definition of a genius that like, anybody can experiment. Right. But most experiments go wrong. But if you experiment with the form of stand up or whatever, if everyone's doing Hicks and you come up with something new and it works, that's incredible. Like, it's that's- just people
1: are so easily influenced, and when someone is really stunningly good. Like there's a David Tell problem. Okay, the David Tell problem is David Tell so good that when you work with him all the time, you start delivering <laughs> your punchlines like him. <laughs> but they're not as good as his punchlines yeah. and you fucking sound like David Tell. But it's it's uh, not even they're not like plagiarists. They're just easily yeah. influenced people that are starting they're not good yet you know what I yeah, mean but it, I get r- susceptible to patterns yeah I don't even know if it, I would say that it was easy influence I think it's just normal that's how brains work yeah you know they, they, they mimic they, they, yes. they copy and when um, guys work together all the time I see they start making the same sort of similar hand movements on stage <laughs> they start doing the same <laughs> yeah. kind of things
0: well, it's the same with writing if you read a book that you really love the next day you'll turn your computer
1: on and you'll be writing in that's st- like a bit in a slightly sh- like shit version of that style
0: well that's what like it's really Rose annoying Thompson
1: said he did didn't he write the great Gatsby over and over and over again just to get a, a sense of the rhythm of the words when he was learning how to write. I believe he did that. Uh, but uh, I think he also did the book of
0: Revelations, didn't he? Whoa. Like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> which I thought was amazing because you can really
1: sense that in his writing, this kind of
0: apocalyptic <sighs> madness. I'm oh sure I read that, a similar thing about, I don't know if he rewrote the rev- Revelations or whether he, he used to read it over and over again, but I'm sure I remember reading that about Hunter
1: Thompson. I yeah. believe that for sure. Yeah. Typed out the great Caspian uh, <laughs> farewell to <laughs> wow. arms, word for word uh a method for learning how to write like the masters Incredible. wow that's that's someone dedicated that's commitment yeah that's dedicated to it he's another guy that's like man if you just like drank half as much yeah. you'd probably still be around yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i would have loved to have met him oh, you know, he's just amazing on this yeah at the end though man fuck I remember he did an episode of Conan O'Brien and you couldn't understand a word he was saying. Yeah. And it was so, it's so sad. It's like when you watch an old boxer and they can't talk anymore. Yeah. It's kind of a similar feeling. Because like in the early days, like when he was running for sheriff <laughs> of Picken <laughs> County in Colorado and Aspen, I mean, he was on fire. He was amazing. He was like at the yeah. height of his verbal skill. He was young and and vibrant. And then to see him at the end where he could barely, you, you couldn't understand what he was saying. Mm. It was like everything was a slur. It was all like this weird, like he had a bunch of health problems, mm-hmm. hip replacements. You know, it was before he killed himself, but yeah. not m- much before. Yeah, and, and, and the suicide tragically almost becomes predictable in a way. Because again,
0: it's that he, was, he had this status. He was this incredible yeah. brain. And he knows that he's, he's down here now. And that's intolerable for somebody like that to, yeah. to live with. That's the, that's the tragedy
1: of that yeah you gotta manage the biology kids yeah you gotta manage your biology yeah and
0: you've got to manage the decline i mean yeah the, that, that, i think when you when you've got as high as uh, you know status-wise as he has it, yeah. it's that level of genius
1: and then You've hit that decline. It's, an, it's a dangerous place to be. It's also, t- t- it has to be just tied to the alcohol because it, the mind is still the same mind. Like when 9-11 happened, he still wrote a brilliant piece about nine eleven. Mm. Did you ever you ever see that? No, I not Johnny didn't think Depp that. narrated it in the movie and it was fucking great. He narrated a couple of these hundred to pieces in the movie and one of them was like how the 60s, see if you can find that, Jamie. When Johnny Depp, Uh, does this hunter s thompson uh uh, he narrates this this story about the wave pulling back it's the wave of culture and the it's so eloquently brilliantly written and it's about the hope that he had in the 1960s and how the 1970s came and it all pulled back Uh oh yeah it's a brilliant piece it's brilliant yeah and it's it just this is a Strange memories on this nerve. Not beautiful. Yeah, and so accurate. Yeah, and you know when we think about the way our world changed four years ago, I mean it's kind of similar in a way. Like the whole, like what the fuck happened? Mm, mm. Four years later, you're like, what the fuck happened? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And I think with us though, there's hope that we'll eventually get to some place of normalcy, and, and 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 some semblance of peace. But what what happened in the 1960s is fucking bananas. Yeah. I mean, they they basically turned this counterculture hippie love movement into Charles Manson and the Manson family. And the fucking CIA was dosing people with yeah. LSD. Yeah, and yeah. they were doing anything they can to stop the anti-war movement. Yeah. Anything they can to stop these hippies. And made everything illegal. They made marijuana. Well, marijuana was already illegal. But all the Schedule One substances. It's all the... Sweeping part of the 1970 psychedelic act that was Mm. all about the civil rights movement. It was all about just arresting people for any kind of protests, any anti-government, anti-war. Let's find these hippies. Everything's illegal. Fuck you. Go to jail. And they put water on it. They just put the fire out. Wow, I didn't know that. They pulled the put the fire out on this psychedelic counterculture that was the 1960s. And we paid for it artistically <laughs> if you yeah. look at the 1980s yeah, yeah, it's a yeah. fucking disaster yeah, yeah. Well, what happened in the 1980s it's yeah. like these people all they have was cocaine they're yeah. just doing cocaine and alcohol and the movies are f- out of control
0: yeah i mean the the, the 1980s the, the other thing that changed was of course was the economy in the 1980s and that was the, for me that's the big thing that that changed yes. like 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 the like the economies
1: of the west fell to bits in the in the 1970s like before the right. 1970s the um, gas crisis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we forget about that. That ruined American automobiles.
0: Yeah, and, and then so Thatcher and Reagan. Yep. came up with this neoliberalism idea of increasing competition ev- everywhere, getting rid of the big state, um, selling off the, you know, privatizing all the national industries, going to war with the unions. Um, and when I was doing my research for my book Selfie, I, I was sort of because I was interested to know like if you change the rules of the the status game do we change as a as a as a as a, as a culture as a, as a bunch of people um and it really does seem like that like if you think about who we were in the 1960s versus who we were in the 1980s you go from fuck the man to greed is good you know yeah. it, 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 you know, we, no, we, we, like and i found this really quite sinister interview from 1981 with margaret thatcher where they're interviewing her about you know what are your big plans and um she, she said uh she was going on about um how, you know it, in the last 30 years, everything have been about the collectivism and getting together, and now they're going to get rid of all that and increase competition. And she said this thing. She said, the method is economic, but the object is to change the soul, which is a really, like, megalomaniac, James oh. Bond villain thing to say. But, but she did do that. They did do that. Like, change the soul. Yeah, Like so, so but, but by changing the rules of who we have to be in order to achieve success... They changed who we were like we became, you know, as a people, Gordon Gecko, material girl, Madonna, Whitney, Whitney Houston. Um, the greatest love of all is loving yourself. Like we, we yeah. became, the, you know, this big, as you say, we, we went from pot to cocaine. It was I, I, there was a really interesting study that found in 1983. They were looking at um, changes in birth names. And for generations and generations, babies have been called things like you know Alfred and John and Barbara, like all the the, the traditional names. But in 1983, suddenly we started naming our kids weird names because we wanted to, our kids to stand out and be a star. Oh, and and, yeah. and when you look at um, the changes in values between like the 60s and the 80s and 90s, suddenly um, money becomes a Dominant value. Celebrity becomes a dominant value. Being good looking becomes a much more dominant value. But there, there, there was a, um, a study about 20 years ago. They asked two and a half thousand British under tens what is the best thing in the world? And these under tens number one was being a celebrity, number two was being good looking, <laughs> number three was uh, being rich. Like that's who we've become. Oh. Um, and, and, and the big change is the economy. Like we've become these kind of neoliberal profit obsessed celebrity obsessed What's number four? individualists i don't know what number four was. i, wa-
1: <laughs> <laughs> I want to know why yeah i think because they're young though right when you're young that's what seems like everybody wants but
0: not in the 60s and 70s like when they did no? a sim- when they did a similar um study in the 60s i think it was 1965 it was less than half of people thought being rich was a important
1: thing in your life and now it's way over 75 percent that's interesting yeah i wonder how many of those people wanted to be famous before the invention of social media and reality shows well i th- yeah i think you know i, I wonder th- if there was yeah. like less of an aspiration there
0: was yeah so all, all of that celebrity stuff comes out of the 80s and and the 80s what defines the 80s is these big economic changes yeah you know like in order to, to survive in the 80s you had to be an uh, like a radical individualist you had to be a uh, get up and go um profit motive uh self-sustaining individualist like a, right. like a competitive individual um because before that we had the big state we had big social security cushions we had mm-hmm. public housing
1: and they, they 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 got rid of all of that I feel like there's a comfortable medium in there. Yeah, (laughs) we're missing out on like don't be competitive to the point where you're a fucking psychopath. Yeah, you're saying greed is good. Yeah, don't don't be that guy. But also don't be lazy and rely on the state to take care of you either.
0: Like, well, yeah, I, I think – I'm not sure if it was Tony Blair, but certainly I, I, I think it was Tony Blair that talked about the idea of neoliberalism with cushions, which I love that idea where mm. – because, because it's true that it kind of worked. It was brutal in the 80s, but we're most of us are much wealthier now than we were in the 80s. Like, it's kind of worked, but, but it's also created much more um, – uh, separation between between the top and the bottom, much more inequality. So the rich are much richer now, and the poor are much poorer than they were in the middle of the 20th century. So, so it's, it's created a lot more unfairness as well. So you
1: do need those cushions, I think. Well, it also becomes an insurmountable position too. Like when we say the rich get richer, the, the poor aren't getting any richer. Mm. So there's that's a part of the problem. It's mm. like there's no escape from like severe poverty. No, very few people escape, mm. and when you're in severe poverty, especially if you're in another country, like when people look at this caravan of people coming in through uh, South America, through mm. uh, Mexico, <laughs> I would do it too. 100 percent? 100 percent. I'm not a terrorist. I yeah. would hope that it wouldn't <laughs> be a terrorist, you, know in a different life, but 100 mm. percent, if I was living in a place that sucked with dirt floors and I found out I could walk to America.: yeah, Absolutely. I: like, I can get a job there? Let's go. Yeah. You, would, yeah. you would do it. 100 percent. It's natural. Seems yeah. like a, a normal thing that people want to have a better life. I think that we've just got to figure out why we have these parts of the world, why we have these communities that are just never getting better and help them.
0: Yeah, <laughs> It just yeah. seems super yeah. simple. You yeah. want the world
1: to be a safer place? Yeah. Take all these places that suck and give them economic security. Give them Mm. education and health care. Set up school systems that are really good. You're going to change the whole atmosphere. You're going to change everything. Provide job opportunities. Set up places where we should make – how about – here's a law. Here's a law that should make. You can't sell anything made by people who make less than would be legal here. (laughs) Wouldn't that be an amazing law if we passed that? If we just said, listen, we all know this is bullshit. Yeah. Okay. We all know that if you're buying an iPhone, mm. there's a lot going on that you wouldn't like to see. Yeah. There's a lot going on. From mm. the mining of the cobalt yeah, yeah. to the people in the factories. I don't want to see that. I want the shiny <laughs> <laughs> titanium <laughs> the thing. It's so yeah. pretty. Yeah. You know, you move it around in your hand mm. like, wow, that's amazing. That's what you want. Mm. You don't want to know how the sausage is made. But if you really want to, I mean, if you really want to try to fix everything everywhere, say, I'm not buying anything from anybody who doesn't get paid what you're supposed to get paid here.
0: Yeah, but you got to account for the economies are different in, the, mm-hmm. in different parts of the world, aren't okay, they? Okay, so then let's we, yeah. balance it so, out for yeah. the economies
1: of those places. Yeah, yeah, I think, that, I, I think that's a good rule. Uh, do they do that, though? They might actually, I mean, what is the economy? In if you're in Mexico, mm. what what are you allowed to pay people in Mexico, and how much does it go? Co- like let's say, um, let's pick a place, Juarez. Mm. That's a kind of a border town. Mm. It's like if you if you have a, own a factory in Juarez, how, how much do you have to pay those people? What is that?
0: Don't, don't the economists have that Big Mac test where they look at how much a Big Mac costs in each territory, and, and from that they can work out the relative strength of each economy it's like so so the test would be you'd have to be able to buy x amount of big macs per day with your with your (laughs) your
1: daily wage if you uh, you know we just have this real weird desire to never stop making more Mm. like real weird desire to like maximize profit expand Mm. expand expand, make it big nobody ever has a company and goes we're good
0: yeah just like leave it like this that's because status is relative right yeah and 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 so you're you're always insecure about your like you don't status is imaginary resource like it only exists in our minds in the minds of other people so you can't keep it you can't you can't put it in a box so you're constantly having to make sure that it's still there it's still there you're constantly measuring your state like Apple are measuring their status versus Google and Samsung right. or whoever. So they, there's, that, there's that constant chippiness. So, so you're always trying to ratchet up. There, there was this really hilarious study they did where they, they got a bunch of m- multiple millionaires and billionaires and they asked them, how much more money would you need to be perfectly happy? And uniformly, they said, between two and three times more money. And it's like, <laughs> and it's like you're not going to be perfectly happy, you delusional. But that's, that's the human brain. So we, so, so, so we, we think, well, when, I, when I've achieved this thing, I'll be perfectly happy. But of course, we're happy for about 10 seconds. Then we want the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And actually, like, it's exhausting. But it's also how we built civilization. It's also an incredible, amazing thing that we're restless We're never satisfied. We want better
1: and better and better and better. Like it drives us forward. Well, I was going to say about the McDonald's thing. It's also a function of being a part of a public company. Mm. You have an obligation to your shareholders to make more money. Like the whole idea yeah. is let's make more money we have to mm. make more money let's it's make a... more money <laughs> like, yeah hey I'm looking at the money and it's not more <laughs> I that, like more money that's the slight problem with
0: it because because you can measure your status in all kinds of different ways and any you know there's an right. infinite ways you can measure your status and money being just one of them but that's part of the problem with the the public companies yeah. that, is that is that money becomes the only important uh, and it's not it's not just money it's short-term profit like it has to Every quarter has to go up and go up and go up and go up.
1: and go up. How much So that's a sort of damaged incentive in a way. How much different would the world be if we made that illegal? I'm not saying we should. I'm not saying we should. But how much different would the world be where all corporations have to be private? Yeah. All of them. You just have to be a company. Yeah. You can't just sell <laughs> your stuff to people, like whatever you are, what piece of this and whatever you want to call it, stocks. Yeah, Call it whatever you want. You're selling chunks of your company, right? <laughs> no, you have to own it. You want yeah. to be in business? you got to own your own company. Because,
0: because yeah, there are two ways that you can measure the status of your company, I guess, two main ways. One is how much money it makes, and, and the other is the quality of the product. Right. And what you see in today's world, of course, is that Stock price. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so so quality tends to go down and down and down. You've got shrinkflation. You yeah. know, you know, so it's not just the quality. It's the, it's what you're getting for your money goes down and down. Yeah. down. So it's just kind of like fake. It gives you the illusion, the illusion of growth in the company. We're making more money. Yeah, because you're putting less berries in the yogurt you know (laughs) that's why it's you know it's it's not a a positive uh productive growth it's a it's a growth that comes from cutting all the good stuff
1: out. also you would eliminate all the gordon geckos because that's not a business anymore yeah 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 you can't can't just sell stock anymore it doesn't exist you can't do that anymore (laughs) own something bitch own, yes. a, co- own yeah. a company, make a product, and stop. <laughs> yeah. and that was—it's yeah. a fascinating thought. And again, I'm not a supporter of this, nor do I know anything about economics. <laughs> but I would imagine that that would be better if, like, the companies had to be owned. Like, you have to own the fucking company. Yeah. <laughs> like, what yeah. Do you- <laughs> but then everyone's pensions would be fucked because
0: basically people's pensions are all in stocks, aren't they? Yeah. And if we'd have. A, it would be a. Yeah, we're, we're, I think we're in this now. For this good, but, but, but I, yeah. Also,
1: this dirty thing where you can't buy stock if you know things. Yeah, you know, like if I knew that some shit was about to pop off and I bought a bunch of stock,
0: it must be so tempting. Like if you know for a fact
1: yeah. that tomorrow
0: this stock is going to be up here.
1: Oh, oh yeah, it's tempted the shit out of me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know whether I'd be able to not. Uh, not you have it, to not. Yeah. yeah, I don't. I'm not that motivated by yeah. money. <laughs> that I would do that but it's there's a there's just it's a just a natural desire people have for yeah because
0: we attach our whatever we've attached our status to we want yeah more we're playing and more a number game thing. and it yeah. doesn't matter how famous and rich we, we become it never ends it never it's ends. A bottomless
1: pit yeah. you, it's a game you can never win and I think it's designed to make human beings create aliens That's what I think. (laughs) This is my thought. I think that is design. I think this whole like competing with the Joneses, keeping up with the Joneses, what is it? It always fuels technology at the Mm. end of the day because that's the thing you buy like every year. People buy phones and laptops. If you're really balling, you buy a new laptop every couple of years, you know? Mm. And that is you're constantly looking for new processors, new innovation, what is it, AR, how big's the battery, what's the battery like? And it's constantly going in this general direction of ever complex technology that interfaces with human beings. And now with AI, And it's going to be an artificial life form, and whether it's ten years from now or twenty years from now, or it's already happening in a fucking lab in Ohio. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Doubtless, it might already be happening right now, (laughs) where they have an artificial life form, and that's going to be the new Mm. dominant life form on Earth. It'll be far smarter. It'll hopefully will coexist with it. Wait, it comes from yeah. I mean, and it comes from the
0: tribe. It comes from. Well, it comes from before we were human. We've been competing for status since before yes. we were humans, since we were animals. Well, we still are animals, but since before we were human animals, and in the in the in the tribes in which we evolved, the more status that you earn, the more food you got, the better right. food you got, The safer your sleeping sites, the greater your access to your choice of mates. So basically, every the more
1: status that you get in your group, everything gets better. And wouldn't that motivate you to make? the most complex thing a human being has ever made. 100%. An artificial human. will, yeah. 100%. Uh, yeah. And right? it's not about the money or the, the no. bling or the- Nope. It's just what we do. I want to be
0: better than you, and yeah. like, I want to be the best inventor of artificial life form there is in the world, Yeah, better than that dude and that person, and, and yeah, and then that's what motivates people. That's what pushes people to create amazing things. And we
1: have this distorted idea of what is like a fiercely competitive person. Mm. When we think of fiercely competitive people, we only, for whatever reason, Consider basketball players, football players, yeah. baseball players, yeah. fighters, mm. athletes, r- race car drivers. We consider fiercely competitive people, the people that are engaged in sports and mm. activities every day. But no, no, there's fiercely competitive people that are yeah. involved in business and yeah. government yeah. and all sorts of other things. And they're they're fucking psycho about this game that they're playing, Absolutely. whatever it is. Yeah. Whether it's stocks and bonds or <laughs> yeah. selling pharmaceutical drugs, they're fucking psycho competitive yeah. about that.
0: And that psychoness is the status instinct yeah. it's like I, I, I you know i need the status like i love a, there was a great story that i found for, for, for the status game about steve jobs and like the true origin story of the iphone i don't know if you've heard this the true origin story of the iphone which is that steve jobs his wife used to hold these barbecues in wherever they lived silicon valley wherever uh, and um one time he was at this barbecue and the husband of one of her friends worked for microsoft and he's, like, rubbing Steve Jobs' face and it's saying, oh, we've, we've invented the future of computing. You're done. It's this pad thing with a stylus. And apparently he really annoyed the fuck out of Steve Jobs. So Monday morning, Jobs comes into Apple, furious, swearing, and going, right, we're going to prove this prick wrong. It's not stylus. It's a finger. You use the finger. And f- from that barbecue came his rage. And from the rage came the iPhone. And, wow. and, and, and that story was told by Steve Forstall, who was... Um, you know, intimately involved with all this stuff. And, he, and he, he said, it was not good for Microsoft that that guy went to that barbecue that day. <laughs> 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 and he's absolutely right. But, but, but that status, like, mm-hmm. like that, 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 it was personal for Steve Jobs. Yeah. It was Microsoft telling Apple that they were fucked and
1: that they they'd solved computing. That's a perfect yeah, example. of yeah. a psycho competitive Absolutely. dude who would have probably yeah. won bike races. Yeah, instead yeah. he's running Apple. Yeah, and yeah. Know? Back
0: in the day, like t- t- twenty thousand years ago, he'd have been the best warrior in yeah, the tribe, like been a stabbing the shit out of everyone. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. And, yeah. and and that's that that that's the kind of upside of
1: aggression in a way. You know, yeah. it's um. it it creates things it creates value in the world it certainly has created a lot of great things right it certainly has created a lot of amazing inventions that enhance our lives but it's also it's like it's moving in this non-stop direction it Mm. always seems to me like we're a bunch of fucking buffalo being herded off a cliff (laughs) like does anybody know where this cliff is but we just keep going Mm. with this stuff like i mean with all the international chaos that's going in the world the conflicts the wars the Mm. ukraine thing and the the Israel Hamas thing. It's like, fuck, man. How much longer? I mean, that's a status thing too, Mm. right? And ultimately, ultimately, I mean, when you can get groups of people to go after other groups of people and be convinced that those people that you don't even fucking know Mm. are your problem. Mm. The fact that that game is still being played Mm. in 2024. But it would never stop being played because we're storytelling animals and
0: we tell stories about about status and and, and and. I think one of the sort of key things that the sort of things that I kind of realized when I was doing the book was that the conscious experience of life is a story. But the subconscious reality is this game. The brain's constantly playing a game for status. And it's, we've got all this insane subconscious technology that we use for measuring our status versus other people that we're completely unaware of. Like there's one about the tone of voice during conversation. They call it the paraverbal frequency band. Mm. And you can't hear it Um consciously but, but 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 it's a way of organizing status hierarchies when we meet people and the person who's top sets the tone and everybody else matches to meet the tone and these um, psychologists studied a bunch of larry king interviews a bit a bit like this one and they, and they and they stripped out the paraverbal frequency band and they could work out who he felt superior to versus who he felt inferior to so he 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 felt inferior to I think it was uh, Liz Taylor and (laughs) uh, uh, and uh, uh, and superior to Dan Quayle. And Uh. there were particular interviews which were very irascible and didn't go very well. And there was they were kind of they weren't getting along. And one of them was Dan Quayle. And they found that those they were just not matching. So, so, So there's all this stuff going on beneath the hood of consciousness, which is constantly organizing us into kind of status games um and, and so you know so that's, and, and it's that that causes the hierarchies of life that 's the reason why communism can never work <laughs> because you know they're trying to wipe out the the effects of status in society, but you mm. can't wipe out the effects of status in society because it's in our it's in our brains you go into an elevator with three other people and you 've already figured out within seconds who's the highest status, you know where you sit in the pecking order who's got the nice luggage, who's getting out of the the sweets floor at the top. You know, we we can't help but do it. And, And so that's that constant work of the subconscious brain figuring out where we sit in the status hierarchy creates...
1: Human life. Yeah, that's why Fidel Castro lived in a fucking mansion. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, <That's, laughs> yeah. There's communism. That's how it works. Yeah. One guy. Yeah. and a bunch of fucking people with guns tell you what the fuck you're gonna do. Yeah, that's it. I mean, it's the, the only way it works. works. I mean, he's treated like
0: a god. I yeah. mean, the, like exactly. the whole the whole idea of communism. They wanted to create a kingdom of equality. They called it. Yeah, it's like
1: come on. I mean, but the know. funny thing is when you talk to people about this and you just point out these just logical patterns mm. of human behavior, it doesn't work. You can't just have Equality of outcome. It doesn't exist. No. They will always just point to that it hasn't been done right yet. (laughs) Come on. (laughs) Come on. But isn't that amazing? (laughs) Isn't that amazing that despite of the many, how many thousands of people are in jail? Is it millions? How many millions of people are in jail? Despite all that, despite all the crime and poverty and chaos, that somehow or another you're just gonna bring this all together. Yeah. If you just do it this way, and everybody mm. just divides the money up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It just is, yeah it just Who does. gets to tell people yeah. they got to take, give their money up? Because people you, with guns. You take
0: people's status away. Like, yeah. I, 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 years ago I went to Poland to do some reporting on, like at the time, the big story in the UK was all these Polish people coming to the UK to do all this work. Right. And so... uh, I remember that. Yeah, where's all the Polish people come from? So I went to Poland to find out where all the Polish people had come from. And we went to this old steelworks, this old sort of of Stalin-era steelworks, and and the Polish journalist who was my fixer said, oh, you know... um, I, I just mentioned casually how the Poles are such hard workers. And she was like, we're not hard workers. We're lazy. We're, like, <laughs> I, I, I can't believe that you Brits think we're hard workers. And she said, we've got this post-Soviet mindset. So I said to her, what do you mean the post-Soviet mindset? And she said, well, when everyone's getting paid anyway, you're not motivated to do any work. So in, uh. in a steelworks like this, um, they, um, nobody would do any work. And if somebody came in all really enthusiastic and ambitious they 'd be bullied to fuck until they calmed down and stopped doing work so, so that was how it, how it worked and there, there was a phrase like you can you can turn up for work or you could not turn up for work you 're still going to get paid so removing that stuff from human society removes something that we need, which is individual status we're like you know we, we, wow. if you don 't reward individual status, you don 't motivate people to contribute to work, and that 's yeah. partly why. Communism collapsed because it's incompatible with human nature like capitalism is the only system that we've got that is compatible with
1: human nature It rewards the status instinct. Yeah Yeah, it's it's really fascinating when you break it down that way because it kind of makes it undeniable Yeah, it it seems this pattern just constantly happens over and over and over again, but there's always people that they play to the most charitable and the kindest People in the world, and they phrase things in a way that if you oppose this idea, that and somehow or another you're cruel, mm. or that you're greedy or evil. That there's something negative about you being competitive, and it's essentially, I think of the roots of it as kind of a cop out of mm. people that have been beaten in life. Yeah, you know, there's this thing that certain people do when it's their things aren't going well. They want to tank yeah. anything that's going well. You know? That's right. And, 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 and I think there's a big
0: misunderstanding about what that what that competitive instinct what that status instinct is. And when uh, and I found it with talking about the book, a lot of people just really don't like it. This idea that I'm arguing that
1: status is a human need that everybody right. has it.
0: And they go, I don't I'm not interested in status, you know. And like,
1: you are. Um, well, you're definitely interested in the benefits of it. Yeah. Do you like iPhones?
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> How'd you get an they're, iPhone? They're, they're tapping on
1: their iPhone, yeah. this shit idea. It's um, crazy, uh,
0: right? But but what all, all that status is Technically, is the, is the reward that we get for being of value to the tribe. Right. So back in the days that we evolved, th- th- there are three s- essential ways of earning status for human beings, aside from boring things like looks and height and whatever. There's dominance games. So this is the animalistic, you can force somebody to attend to you in status, either physically or with social violence of the kind you see on social media. Um, there's virtue games. So people compete to be have a reputation of being very virtuous. So courageous. Somebody who knows the rules follows the rules, believes the sacred beliefs. So uh, a religion is a virtue game. The royal family, weirdly, is a virtue game because it's about being deference and knowing the rules. Um, and then there's success games, I call them, which is about competence, about being a great hunter, a great honey finder, a great sorcerer. Um, and that's what that's what defines the West. That, yeah. that that that's what made the West what it is. Is that we started playing six like for for for. So millennia we were mostly playing virtue games it was cast kingdom game of thrones kind of land and then in the, starting with the industrial revolution we started playing success games so we started mostly like much more rewarding competence and so that 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 competitive instinct is channeled into figuring out how to solve problems how to create wealth and it's right that we reward that. We've, we've evolved to reward people who offer value to the human family. Yeah. That's status. It's not a, a, a negative thing in that sense. It's massively positive. Um, and, and, and weirdly, capitalism is, a, is, is, a, is an economic system that, that does the same thing. It works with how status games work. It works with how we've evolved
1: to operate in human tribes. That's why I love how you talk about this because it, the, the, you change the term in a lot of people's eyes as well, that listen to you, because status for a lot of people is kind of a pejorative. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. it's like a dick. They like, think oh, about you want status. You yeah, 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 yeah. You're just yeah. An asshole. Yeah, but it's just a natural human pattern yeah. that if we can recognize, we can also like mitigate some of the problems that come yeah. with it yeah I mean and that's what I mean that's why
0: I like talking about
1: communism because
0: communism was the biggest experiment we've ever had in eradicating status so the, so Marx and Engels their big idea was that um status comes from private property from private ownership so you could have a house that's a perfectly functional house and you're happy with it but then somebody builds a big palace next door, suddenly you feel shit. Right. So, so, so they said, you know, like yeah. communism could be summed up in one sentence, which is the abolition of private property. We get rid of that. We get rid of people being interested in status. Everybody works together. But it, it just didn't work. Like there were some anthropologists, uh, sociologists that went to the Soviet Union in the 50s and they found 10 distinct social classes in the Soviet Union. All they did was they took the existing status game hierarchy with the wealthy at the top and the workers at the bottom and they flipped it. So the workers were at the top and the wealthy were the wealthy and former wealthy really were at the bottom. And those former wealthy, the bourgeoisie, the children of the bourgeoisie were absolutely discriminated against openly and horrifically. If you weren't tortured and killed, you were held back, you know, in every sense. And and that's the thing about utopians. Utopians often talk about we're going to get rid of the hierarchy, but they don't want to get rid of the hierarchy. They They just want want a new hierarchy with you at the top every single time.
1: Yeah. Um, that's what got Brett Weinstein in trouble when he was uh, teaching at Evergreen University. Do you remember this story? I do, yeah. It was the same situation. Um, Brett, they they had had, I think it was like a day of appreciation for people of color, Mm. where people of color could stay home, they still get paid, and go, wow, I wish Mike was here. He's Mm. very helpful, you know, whatever it was. And they decided one year to switch it. And Make it so that white people can't come You cannot come Mm. and that which is a very different sentiment then you can stay home if you like Mm. and you still get paid But you can come yeah, but if you want to stay home You just get paid Mm. and everybody just chose to stay home. It's nice Mm. right and thank Mm. you for appreciating me That's not a negative right if you have the money to do it and It doesn't fucking stop everything in its tracks cool. Sounds great. Yeah, sounds great Sounds like a nice liberal hippie thing to do (laughs) But the other one doesn't No. the other one scares me because that's racist. Yeah, if you're you're saying White people can't be here. Like, why not? Yeah, like, exactly. What did I do? Yeah. I didn't do anything. Yeah. Like, you're, you're saying that white people shouldn't be allowed to be in a place where they work. Yeah. Because you decide. Because you decide they have to stay home. Look, like, there's just better ways of going yeah, about it. Yeah, it's just It's a bad idea. Yeah, yeah. It's, the, the, the idea behind appreciating people is great. But the idea about discriminating people in any way is bad. And Absolutely. you're saying white people yeah. have to stay home, <laughs> yeah. that's yeah.
0: bad. But that, but, that, but that also characterizes, I'm not saying that the kind of woke thing is the same as communism, but it has echoes of it. And, yes. it, and, it, and, it, and, it, and it's the same flipping of the hierarchy. So, so when I was doing my research into communism, there was this phrase that came up. So the the, the, the former bourgeoisie wealthy business people and the children of them were called former people. You were, it's a dismissive, you're a former people. Wow. And that's how, you know, when you think about how especially you know men especially white men especially straight white men are treated at the moment talk
1: preach brother they're
0: they're former you know they're they're made to feel like former people there's a whole generation of guys who've been raised in a culture where they're being made to feel you've had your turn sit down shut up the future is not for you the future is for people who don't look like you and think like you and so 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 that, that that former people really resonated with me it's like You you straight white men, you're former people, you're yesterday's
1: people, you're not the future, you're not tomorrow. I was watching an argument on Twitter where this man and this woman were going at it. And the man said something that was factually correct. And the woman said, if you think that I'm going to take information from a straight white man... (laughs) that was their comeback yeah, that was their comeback i'm not taking that information coming from a straight white yeah, man yeah like the last thing we need right now is straight white yeah. man speaking well i've had don't that. speak just listen yeah. it's time to listen <laughs> that's my favorite just please be quiet and listen like uh, hey sometimes that's good advice and sometimes you're just telling people you want to talk yeah exactly. yeah it, it, it's so ignorant and yeah. i had a similar experience
0: once i used to teach um, a storytelling course at the Guardian newspaper, um, science of storytelling, uh, and so it's so it's like how to use psychology and neuroscience to make yourself a better storyteller. So I'm talking about studies and this study and that study. Yeah. And then during a break, this woman came up to me and she worked for a major, um, she worked for a major academic, like one of the biggest academic journals, and she said to me, "There's a problem with I've got a problem with what you've been talking about, and it's that most of what you're most of these studies are by straight." White men, and I was like, <laughs> so like, a, like a, okay. And what's the point? And she, and she, she, she was saying, well, you can't really trust them because they've got their own, you know, they've got, they've got, their, their they're own, all evil. They're all, their perception of the world is is wrong, and and, 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 and I, you know, I felt actually a bit intimidated by that because I'm standing in the Guardian with this woman telling me that effectively I I guess I've been racist somehow or sexist somehow so I just said to her I'm not going to have this conversation with you okay and she kind of went away but I just thought but but it was the fact that she worked for a major scientific publication she was telling me that because the work was done by straight white men it could not be trusted like that's that's Mississippi (laughs) level like Mississippi 1932 level (laughs) racism it was absolutely a baffling kind of moment Um, and she was a smart person. She was clearly a smart person. But again, that's the, that's the human brain. It believes what it has to believe in
1: order to make itself feel important and valued. I've got an amazing example of that that I just sent Jamie. I want you to see, okay. this. I want you to see this headline. Please make sure this headline is real first because I have been duped before. <laughs> but someone uh, sent me this on the Instagram and if it is true, praise the baby Jesus because it's <laughs> as good as the Babylon Bee. It's so good. It seems like satire. It's so good. Oh, I think I know what it is. Oh, hold please. Is it real? I gotta check. Right. <laughs> is it the teacher? He's trying to. No no no, oh, no, 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 no. He's trying to. He's trying to um, type with Carl. I was a little 2017. buddy. It's from twenty seventeen. Yeah, but it's real, right? right? I mean, I'm seeing other people talk about it. Okay. So just post it then. Let me see, let's see the article. <laughs> Look at this. Straight black men are the white oh. people of black people. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh.
1: <laughs> That's South Park level. Yeah, That's South Park yeah. level. Yeah. That is yeah. amazing. Yeah, It feels counterintuitive to suggest that straight black men as a whole possess any sort of privilege. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh, my God. This is the great irony of these people. It's amazing. Uh, um, <laughs> the, you,
0: you know, the, 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 these kind of woke people talk about privilege. And, uh, there, there was a study that was done in the UK a few years ago. It was the More in Common report. It's the biggest ever psychological study of Britain's social psychology. Uh, you know, over 10,000 respondents. And they were looking at the kind of, kind of these belief sets, and they found there were seven distinct belief groups in the country um, one of those belief groups, they call them progressive activists. And these are people for whom the fight for social justice is at the heart of their identity. You know, they believe that how you get on in life is about um, not about your talent and your hard work, but about your race and gender. So we know who, who they're talking about. Yeah. Here. And so what was interesting about these people was it just astonished me. Um, first, is that they are the richest of all the seven groups. So they had more people earning over 50,000 pounds per year as a family and secondly that they were the most highly educated of all the seven groups so so these people that are constantly going on about privileged if they're the most privileged people in Britain, they're amongst the most privileged people in the world. So that was the first thing. The second thing, which I thought was amazing, was that they, that they, they were six times more likely to, to make political comments on what was then called Twitter. Mm. And they make more social media contributions than all of the rest of the groups combined.
1: Doesn't it make sense, though?
0: Completely, yeah. They
1: don't have uh, any financial stress. Yeah. Right? They probably feel real guilty. Mm. And if they're white, they feel super guilty. Mm. And then they're young, and you get status from being progressive and yeah. an activist. And yeah. you don't have to be competitive in the workplace. You're out here throwing paint on the Michelangelos. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, so so, uh, so uh, and, uh, they also the numbers. So,
0: so in the UK, they, they make up 13% of the population. In the US, they make up 8% of the population. So on social media, because they dominate social media, they feel like sometimes the majority of the country but their their beliefs are actually really marginal like they like what what one of the one of these i think it was you asked people um who do you think should be the next governor of the bank of england a man or a woman this is the kind of story that that drives our media into paroxysms you know like if, if it's a they've hired another white man oh you know they, right. they get they get the shivers um and um this poll found that 5% of people thought it should be a woman. 3% of people thought it should be a man. The va- Everybody else pretty much didn't give a shit. You know? That's great. That's the reality. That's good progress. Yeah, most people think it that doesn't seems, matter. That but,
1: seems indicative of the general
0: population that I yeah, come across. Exactly. And, but, but because these people, these 13% or 8% in the, in, the, in the U.S., are so highly educated and so wealthy, they, they dominate the media, they dominate the gatekeeping positions in publishing companies and TV companies. So, so, so they really have the kind of commanding voice in our culture very often. But
1: they're a tiny minority of, of, of who we are. But it really does behave like a religion in a lot of ways. Mm. It really does. And, you know, Mark Andreessen broke it down very eloquently, where he's explaining that it has all of the things that a cult has. Mm. It has the indoctrination. It has the excommunication. We're you're shamed. and you're kicked out of the group. The disconnect from the group members. It's a. It's got all those things to yeah. it, and that's think, a big part of it. Is like worried about being shamed and f- yeah. and cast out of the the group, yeah, you know, which is terrifying for people. So they're willing to say and believe things that aren't that logical, <laughs> yeah. you know, just yeah. if they can stay in the group. Yeah, absolutely. They they.
0: Um, it's natural. We we believe what we have to believe in order to earn status in our. In our groups, and, and that's that's true for these people as it is true for, for anyone else. And I, yeah, I, and I agree with the cult thing, but but I would just add that all all human groups have cult elements. They have yep. special languages, they have rules, hierarchies, yeah. rewards and punishments. It's just that
1: cults are the tightest possible form of human group. Well, I learned that when I started doing martial arts, because one of the things that was really interesting about the martial arts world is it's very cult-like. Yeah, especially in when I did it in like the 80s, the early 80s when I started. They were, um, you know, they were the masters, you bowed to them, mm-hmm. you know, you bow when you enter the, the, I was so committed to this, that I had this girlfriend when I was in high school, and I had the keys to the gym, because I would work out there, like, anytime I wanted, I taught classes there mm. and stuff, and she wanted to have sex, in uh, the and I could not do it, I wouldn't do it, she was so hot, I, was, I wouldn't do it, I was like, I can't do it here, Like, yeah. this is not, mm. this can't happen here. Mm. At like seventeen, I was so horny wow, and so wow. stupid. Wow. But I was like, "Uh, uh-uh, uh, we can't do it here." Yeah, guess the power of the states. It, it was like yeah. a, like like now I'd be like, "Where? What are you gonna do? You <laughs> want to do it before? <laughs> like, yeah. but back then I was that was a religious place for me. I didn't think about it that way at the time. Mm. I just knew what the rules were. Yeah, and I was not violating those rules in yeah. any way. Like, there's no way. <laughs> yeah, you know. But that's uh, there was a lot of weird stuff where like uh, some of the masters would date some of the uh, married mm. women. It was it got real weird, got real weird. Yeah, got real I, culty. I, I don't doubt it. Yeah. Oh, it was very culty because these you know you uh, adore this person who is commanding the group and getting everybody to march like to the bark of his voice, and everyone's doing. And he just commands all this attention and respect. Mm. So Mm. uh, there's the the gym I went to was a very good place where it was very little of that shenanigans going on. But there was a bunch of them where it was like it was a big thing Mm. where like you you hear that about like yoga places too like the yoga guru guy starts banging people's wives. It's just like (laughs) (laughs) there was a place that I uh, bought out here that was owned by a cult. I bought a place for my comedy club. And I didn't wind up completing the deal. I got out of it because there was a, there were some problems with the property. And then I bought the place that I bought on 6th Street. But before it, I bought this place called the One World Theater. And the One World Theater was created by this guy. His name was Jaime Gomez. And he was a gay porn star and a hypnotist. And he started a cult cult (laughs) in West Hollywood. There's a documentary about it called Holy Hell. And then they moved out to Austin. And he had his followers build him this theater so that he could dance in front of them. And that was the place that I bought. So he could dance in front of dance them? Dance in front of them. Oh he God. put on performances and danced in front of them. Just the followers. <laughs> and That's he had a incredible. gang of them, man. He had a wow. gang of them in um, L.A., in West Hollywood. And then when the Cult Awareness Network started going after mm. people, he took off. He thought they were onto him because the parents <laughs> were like, where's my fucking kid? <laughs> so then he moves to Austin wow. and builds this one world theater. So my friend Ron White tells me about the theater. He's like cuz I tell him I'm gonna, I'm looking for a comedy club location. Mm. And he goes, "You should get that theater. It's amazing." <laughs> so uh Ron White's the my hero. So I'm like, "All right, I'll get that theater." And as I'm like in the middle of the purchasing it, my friend Adam calls me and goes, "Did you watch the documentary on that cult?" Wow. I was like, "Oh, no." A, how bad is it?" He goes, "Oh, dude, it's bad. You got to right. watch it. And it's crazy." Yeah. And it's these people that just get sucked into believing that this guy can give them enlightenment and connect them to God by touching their head. That status, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. they all. And the thing is, man, even after this guy got exposed, and you know he was hypnotizing the men and having sex with them, it was crazy shit, right? Mm. But even after he got exposed, the people that went through the experience of having this guy touch their head, when it was, it was called the knowing. It was built up for days and weeks wow. and. Some people were denied the knowing they could never get it and other people today is your day And they couldn't believe it and they would sit there on their knees and this guy would touch their head And they would be in ecstasy <laughs> and it looked real yeah. and they talked about it even after yeah. they're like this guy's a fraud He's a, he's crazy. He was this he was that he was a manipulative and a liar But that moment I felt like I was connected to God. Yeah. Yeah, like he yeah. did something to me and I felt I felt the world change forever yeah, uh, the mind is a powerful thing. It's you know? crazy yeah, how yeah, it works. Yeah. So, what stopped you buying that theater then? There was a problem with the property. Uh, it wasn't because no, you no, at, no, there yeah. was just some some issues, and we couldn't negotiate it. And yeah, I was like, this yeah, is, yeah. and then I was like, you know what? It'd probably be better to be in the city, city, like where people walk. And, yeah, you know, just make it more convenient for folks too, because people are used to going to Sixth Street. And then mm-hmm. I found that place, and I got the, mm-hmm. the places there. But the <laughs> cult, the cult—that <laughs> would been a real problem, because a lot of people think I'm already running a cult. <laughs> That would have been a real problem. <laughs> <laughs> like he, how he bought a cult building, yeah, yeah. but also for to me, it was the real problem was I don't necessarily know if I believe in energy, but I not energy, you know. I believe in energy, but I mean like that <laughs> energy gets left in a space. Oh yeah. That like my stepdad went to Gettysburg and he said you can feel the sadness and he's not like a mm. spiritual fucking ouija board type dude he's a very rational architect mm. and he's like you feel the sadness he goes it's like yeah. you feel it you feel how many people died here yeah i get that it's, feeling it's, it when i'm mean Berlin. Like,
0: like like berlin people go on about how great oh. berlin
1: is but there's I always get this
0: immense sense of heaviness when I've spent some time in Berlin. Like, th- Do you th- th- think that's
1: because you know,
0: or do you think it's in the air? I don't know, because I'm not expecting to feel that way. Right. Uh, but but, but yeah, I don't know. It, 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 I, I mean, who knows? I mean, there's certainly, it, it, it's striking when you walk around Berlin, you still see all the sort of shrapnel marks in the size of buildings are still there. It's kind of, that's quite confronting.
1: But, that's why I was thinking, I don't necessarily know if I want that building. Yeah. Because that building was built by people who got, juked by a con man. Yeah. He fucking, just, yeah. He's, he fucking <laughs> shenanigans them into building him a theater. <laughs> and Even it, if there's 0.001% chance, he's <laughs> just, yeah. A lot of shit happened. I mean, mm. this one one of the guys left and he sent this mass email. This guy's been abusing me for fucking years. Yeah. The, the whole thing is nuts. Like, they flew the guy to Hawaii and he started a new cult out there. Wow. It's in the documentary. They wow. go visit him in Hawaii. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it's just... It's so fascinating yeah. how people just fall into these patterns. Mm. It's just a natural thing that we have to be aware of. Yeah. I think that's why it's so important, the, the way you say it and the way you talk about these things and the way you lay it out, it makes it so much more palatable to a lot of people. They, they look at it and go, oh, these are all just patterns that people play. Yeah. We believe what we have to believe in order to,
0: yeah. you know. And what, what, I think one of the, one of the things that, that – one of the things in history that's, that this status research has really made me understand is the rise of the Nazis, that like w- w- growing up in the UK, is always this question, how how could it have happened? How could this um, technologically advanced, sophisticated country descend into Nazism? And once you understand the role the status plays, it becomes completely, uh, for me, it's crystal clear, like before the First World War, Germany was just absolutely killing it. They were the most successful country in continental Europe. They were like, had you know, the, the massive, like, like the Apple and Google of the days, BASF, Siemens, you know, huge companies. They were producing a third of the world's potatoes, <laughs> you know, like, that, like quality of life had rocketed in the early part of the 19th century. And then the, the First World War happened and they just assumed we we're going to kill it because we we're amazing. And of course, they didn't kill it. They, 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 they lost. And so that's humiliating in itself. Um, and, you know, humiliation being the loss the loss of status. And then there was the Treaty of Versailles, which which uh, was savage. You know, they had to give up a load of land, they had to, to give up their military, they had to pay the equivalent of hundreds of billions of dollars in um, reparations. Uh, when all that triggered hyperinflation, their economy collapsed, um, we took their industrial <laughs> heartlands uh, off them. So it was humiliation upon humiliation. Then Hitler comes along. And so this is the thing that we were never taught about Hitler in schools, which is probably still a bit... I don't know. It was going to trigger people, but 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 it's the truth. Hitler was an incredibly successful leader of Germany for the time when he was uh, in charge. Um, the first thing which was a surprise to me was that. When you see those black-and-white films of Hitler spitting and shouting and ranting, you assume that he's talking about the Jews all the time.
1: Have you seen how they've translated into English now with AI? They're In going through it, yeah. In yeah. Hitler's voice. Yeah, it, I haven't I seen that, no. that. I saw that going oh. on Twitter. Yeah, right yeah here, it's right? fascinating. Because of AI, one of the things that they can do now, like that they can do even with podcasts. So this podcast, when uh, Spotify runs its AI through it, They'll be able to translate you into perfect Spanish in your voice. Wow. And they have this technology now. I know they could do it in German, Spanish, and I think French. And, of course, English, and back and forth. So they could do that with Hitler. (laughs) For correctness, whether you believe that I have been diligent. (laughs) That's amazing. that That I have advocated for you in these years, that I have been decent. I have spent my time in service of my people. Now cast your vote. If yes, then wow.
0: stand up for me as I
1: have stood up for you.
0: See, he's wow. talking about. Uh,
1: uh, that sounds so much scarier. <laughs> yeah, it does. Let me yeah. hear that. Uh,
0: the eye voice hasn't really got the attitude. My work.
1: My My work. My the fucking accent <laughs> boy. Yeah. There's something about German. When you hear him yelling, yeah. you're like <laughs> instinctively. <laughs> I think it's burned into us.
0: Yeah. But he, but he's not he, he like during the thirties he wasn't ranting about the Jews because right. he, the everybody was anti Semitic in that in that period in history. Um but the middle classes they didn't want to see the Jews being attacked and killed. It didn't play well. So they, he, he suppressed all of that stuff and all that ranting. Most of it, he's talking about, I'm going to restore Germany's status. I'm going to, I'm going to create this Third Reich, this Thousand Year Kingdom. And that's what convinced people um, to support him. And he did, He did, a, a, he did like, the, 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 like, some of the statistics are quite extraordinary. When they... When the Nazi Party came in, a third of the population were unemployed. And by 1939, they had full employment. Between 1932 and 1939, GDP went up 81%. So he was doing the thing of restoring um, Germany's status. And when, um, when you see that footage of people going completely mad, that's when he's reversing the humiliations of Versailles. So he, so he, he took back the industrial heartland by force and nobody stood in his way. They went mad uh he took austria nobody stood in his way so so it was all about the restoration of status that's mm. that's that explains the rise of hitler and they did like there was there was some mad stuff in the research like Women would get um, swastika tattoos. They would do the Hitler salute at point of orgasm. Uh, Whoa. Yeah, yeah. Whoa, that's Uh, kind of hot. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) There was a butcher that was making swastika sausages. Um, uh, People would even name their female children after Hitler. Uh, People with tuberculosis would stare for hours at pictures of Hitler because they thought they would make them better. So, again, that's another example of that status. That's how mad people go for status. It was taken away from them. And he didn't just promise to restore it. For a while, he did restore it. So that's why they loved him. It wasn't to do with the, you know, with like, w- with really anything else. When do you think meth came into
1: the picture? <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. somewhere along the line, the Hitler story is not complete. Yeah. Unless you realize Hitler was a meth head. Yeah. And the, the, wasn't, his, wasn't his army on amphetamines? Everybody was on yeah. amphetamines. <laughs> yeah. That's how they talked the kamikazes yeah. into doing that. Yeah. Yeah. That's not a natural pattern no. of behavior for grown men. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> Flying no. planes and boats. No. You got to be fucking jacked. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go, bitch! <laughs> no, you just yeah. want to take everybody yeah. out. But Hitler was a full-on meth head, yeah. and there's video of him at the Olympics in 1936, just straight up tweaking. Mm. Have you ever seen that video? Yeah, I have. Yeah, it's nuts. Yeah. Yeah, and it's if incredible. you see that video, that is that's a guy like it's not, he's not just doing that once. Yeah. Like, I'm gonna go to the Olympics, it's my first time trying meth. <laughs> no, that fucking guy was a meth head. You know? That's it. Blitz. That was the While blitz. other drugs are banned or discouraged. Methamphetamine was touted as a miracle product wow. when it first appeared on the market in the late nineteen thirties. I bet it was a miracle. Indeed, the little pill was the perfect Nazi drug. Germany awake, the Nazis had commanded. Energized. Uh, energizing and confidence-boosting methamphetamine played into the Third Reich's obsession with physical and mental superiority. See, superiority. There you go. In sharp contrast to drugs such as heroin or alcohol, methamphetamines were not about escapist pleasure. Rather, they were taken for hyper-alertness and vigilance. Aryans, who were the embodiment of human perfection and Nazi ideology, could now even aspire to be superhuman. And such superhumans can be turned into super soldiers.
0: That's it, superhuman. So it's the same as the... the, um, uh, you know the cult that was promising, we're going to take you to a level above hu- human. It's, yeah. it's, it's always the promise of these mad people that we're going to get, you, we're going to give you so much status that we're going to essentially become superhuman. It's what the communists thought as well that the average human, the, their intelligence would become so much that everybody would be a genius. That's what they really believed that communism would, would lead to. Like the promise of these lunatics is always insane amounts of status and religions too. That's yeah. what heaven
1: is, isn't it? Heaven is, and it's also hope to people who have none. Yeah. But if you go along yeah. with this, and there's much more people that have none than have some yeah. and have a lot. Yeah. You know, those people are the problem. Let's go get them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> They're the reason why I'm so sad. Yeah. Yeah. But you don't understand. That's a, just a trap. It's yeah. a, just a giant trap. It's that a massive they, trap. Yeah. It's, it's, but it's so, it's so wild that most people don't address it that way. They just mm. get, even really brilliant people I know, just get locked into these ideologically yeah. captured echo chambers. Yeah.
0: And, and, and when there's a story that, um, our status has been unfairly um, squashed and it's these people's fault. That's Mm -hmm. when it's dangerous. And of course you had that with the Nazis. They blame the Jews for everything. Um, But you also get that in certain in this day and age. I mean, you know, like men, Get blamed for for a lot in this day and age. Why ever get blamed for a lot in this day and age? And that's why it gets a bit. I'm not so, I'm not saying it's anywhere near as dangerous as that, of course. No, but but but, it, but it's the same psychological kind of patterns repeating again and again and again. We, we we've been unfairly deprived of status,
1: and it's their fault. And that's really dangerous. Those kinds of stories. It is, but I I feel like it's just an overcorrection, and I feel like it's the wind. The you know the wave washes this way, and the wave washes that way. And if you look at the wave of what black people that are facing this country, it's cl- by every definition, it's yeah. far worse.
0: Absolutely, of course. Far, yeah, yeah, far, yeah, yeah. Far, yeah. far, 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 far yes. worse than anything <laughs> yeah. that white
1: privileged people oh. are experiencing today. Obviously, yeah, yeah, but yeah. It's, that, that, it's that also saying, yeah. a clear indication that an imbalance, which was always there, still exists in so many of these places mm. where people have the most despair mm. and people have done nothing to fix it. Mm. And those places, that a lot of them that have the most despair, It's directly connected to slavery. Yeah, like you could follow it to that poverty. That's where it came from. Yeah, like you. It's generations later, but they never recovered, and you don't do anything about it. Yeah, like that's that. When in the in the face of they just last night in the middle of the night passed some new Ukraine bill, Mm. like in the middle of the night. I didn't know that they passed some bill. It's like how much is it, Jamie? Ninety-five billion. Ninety-five billion. Wow, plenty of money. (laughs) Wow, that's a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. imagine what they could have done with the money that they've already pumped into Ukraine, just Mm. in the inner cities of this country. Imagine, imagine if there was, we said there's a war on crime and poverty and despair. This is our new war. Instead of a war on drugs, instead of a war on foreign countries, you know, questionable, Origins of how this conflict started. What about a war on the things that suck about America? Yeah (laughs)
0: Yeah. That's that's what I mean, that's what happened in in America in the 1920s There was the New Deal the Social Security cap the GI bill They pumped loads of money into fixing America after the the Great Depression and it worked like there, there was a whole Era in America they called it the great compression because it was a compression between the gap between the rich and the poor and that was the era in which a, a, an ordinary American person with it, without a college degree could, could have a house and a car and a vacation every year and a wife at home raising their children. Yeah, that's and, how it can know. work
1: without socialism. Yeah. like Everybody rise up. Not, yeah. not fucking take all the money away <laughs> from the successful people. Yeah. You could rise up too, but we have to figure out a way to fix these problems that have existed forever in this country yeah. that get no attention.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: At at a certain point like one of my favorite stories of this this year was when Xi Jinping came to San Francisco Because when uh, San Francisco has this horrible homeless problem, it's really bad where they have tents everywhere Mm. But when he came they cleaned everything they took everybody away. They don't know whether Nobody said nothing (laughs) they put up fences where they so they couldn't put the tents there anymore They put up fences Mm. in front of these buildings where the they would camp out. They just took them all away And then when Xi Jinping came through, it was all beautiful. (laughs) It's amazing, isn't it? It literally sounds (laughs) like what we would say China would do. Yeah. We would make if we were going to we were going to make fun of a foreign country that we were in dispute with. We would say, "Yeah, when we sent our leaders there, you know what they did? They fucking got rid of all the protesters. They everybody was protesting. They killed the protesters. They they took all the homeless people away, all the bums and the street <laughs> urchins." <laughs> this we is would what, say, totalitarianism yeah, like. what totalitarianism yeah, looks like. Yeah, that's what totalitarianism looks like. That's yeah. what they did in San Francisco. Yeah, yeah, that's hilarious. It's just, but the people that live there are so in that cult. They're so in that leftist cult that Mm. they're never going to go, hey... This is not working. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. doesn't matter yeah. how many fucking yeah. needles you have to jump over, yeah. how much human shit's in the street. They'll keep voting the same way. Yeah, because they have to believe what they have to believe in order for their peers to give them the... Your thoughts on this, the way you describe it, is the only way that makes sense. Mm. It, it, it must be a status game that you can't get out of. Yeah. Otherwise, they would have gotten out of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's, almost, it's counterintuitive mm. to success and, and the evolution of the... the, the Community, it's counterintuitive to yeah. it. I mean, one of my favorite ones is the, the Satanic Panic was an insane yes.
0: status game and thing, and, and and so that that began in the early eighties, and essentially what you're doing is you're saying to a bunch of therapists and family counsellors um, that, that 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 you can be a, 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 like a like a incredible hero because. America is full of these satanists running kindergartens, and yes. they're secretly abusing your children. And we need to go and hunt them out. And so, so because that belief gives them status, they they all decide to believe it. And 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 so, and, and the same with the police. The police think they think they were like on the hunt for the you know this all well, local like neighbourhood memories
1: into children's yeah. heads yeah. and yeah. had those children come back and, and change their stories. That's and right. I mean, and, and being... some of the
0: some of the um, stories that were that came out that were believed. It was like children were saying they had their eyelids stapled shut. There was one kid that said... That she got flushed down a toilet into a, a secret underground abuse chamber. Somebody, <laughs> so, so, somebody how said, "How big is this kid?" And, uh,
1: <laughs> that was it. It began with this book, yeah, Pazders. Michelle remembers. Michelle remembers yeah. the discredited 1980s book written by Canadian psychiatrist Lawrence Pazders. Yeah, this the one that began it all. Like, she, she,
0: she said that she she um, was she had um, devil horns and a tail
1: surgically attached and to he her body. And he married her,
0: did he? Yeah, so and, an, and an the,
1: eventual wife. I bet she was hot. <laughs> The uh, crazy ones like that, I bet she was fun. Uh, and that's um, what happened. He bought into it. He's like, yeah, baby. Yeah. Flushed it on the said, toilet.
0: <laughs> uh, he said, I, 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 at first I thought she was making it up, but then I thought it was true. <laughs> and, and, and according to her story, there was an 81-day satanic ritual where, the, where, the, where Jesus and the archangel Gabriel turned up and conveniently removed all the scars of her abuse. There was there was nothing left. Oh, that's convenient. Yeah. yeah. I bet but, she was hot. But, but the amazing thing about the satanic panic was that... Um, I think it was like there was 190 arrests. 83 people went to prison. Oh my god! One person went to prison on the solely on the basis of the testimony of a three-year-old child. Oh my god! Um, so uh, th- this one couple that owned a daycare spent 22 years in prison, and there was never, obviously, never physical any physical evidence. There was no tigers or sharks or, you know, scars <laughs> in the eyelids where they stepped with them shark. But people, p- people were offered status to, for believing this bullshit, so they believed it, and. and th- th- therapists, police officers, lawyers, judges. Oprah was big on it. (laughs) Haroldo Rivera was big on it. Journalists were big on it. Everybody believed, even though there was no evidence. Like... One of the one of the great guiding slogans of the Satanic Panic people was "Believe Children," which has <laughs> amazing echoes, doesn't it? it does. Of stuff today.
1: That's what it they said. Does. So you had
0: to believe the children, and, and they had this they had this statistic that only two in every thousand children make this stuff up. So you, you have to believe them. So they'd even have badges "Believe Children." They had the "Believe Children" um, organization. Um,
1: what? <laughs> I never Can you of... show me a photo of the woman? Yeah, yeah. I want to see if she was hot. I bet she was. <laughs> and I bet it goes back to what you're talking about, too, though. Because I think status in his relationship with his woman yeah. allowed him to believe some nonsense. And also, the $300,000 ad- ad-
0: advance he got for his... Well, so much happened. for my
1: theory. <laughs> 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 Damn it, I hate when I'm wrong. <laughs> But that's Damn, the, that's she the might have been just stuff. fun. It, you know, it, 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 but people... he was ugly too, though. For him, that's probably as good as he gets, right? You got to judge it on a curve. Is this, is this her? <laughs> that's oh. older, bro. No one looks great when they get no, old. That's not fair. That's not fair, you son of a bitch. Who is, but this, these are older pictures. She, she's a young woman here. These pictures, what is the one when she's line? a young woman? The one up there in the corner. Is that when they first arrested her? Yeah, these are from the eight. Let me put it on the screen. These are from like the eighties or whatever this started. But whatever mm. I was just looking at, like this, NPR brought up says QAnon revives the Satanic Panic. But who is this woman? Oh, maybe that's her man. now. I don't know. The problem is some people are crazy, and they will make up stories. And then there's people that are just trapped in these witch hunts. Like yeah. the like the McCarthyism of the fifties. Yeah. Everyone was a communist. Yeah. I mean Oppenheimer got roped into that shit. Yeah. There's there's so many people that were being accused of being communists. If you went to one meeting, like what's this all about? Well that's it and, and people call in... those moral panics, but the, I yeah. don't think they are moral panics. They're status gold rush.
0: Right it, you know, so the status on offer for finding Satanists was Massive. Mm-hmm. Like, the government pumped tens of millions of dollars into these organisations. They became famous. There was yep. one person who interviewed children who, who, who got paid hundreds of thousands of dollars. for. Inter- and, and, they're, and they're kids. So when they're saying, I got flushed down a toilet, I got... A- forced to kill baby tigers it's clearly stuff that four-year-olds are inventing right but it was taken to be serious and people went to prison for years uh, on the basis of this testimony and and so so that's that that that's another thing that changed my thinking This idea of moral panics i think often moral panics are actually just these status frenzies status mm. kind of gold rush movements where there's so much status and offer for believing this nonsense that people you know. helplessly because that's how we're wired start to start
1: to believe it boy social media doesn't do us any favors with that does Not, it God, no the ability to just tweet out something the moment something hits the news mm. or whatever and your hot take on it how many fucking people have lost their careers <laughs> yeah because of a hot take yeah yeah,
0: exactly. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, you know, I was talking about those different kinds of status, virtue status, success status. Virtue status is the easiest status to get. Success is hard. You've got right. to become competent. You've got to become good at something. Virtue is easy, right. especially on social media. It's you know, so easy. So, 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 so that's why it sort of becomes addictive. People just make themselves feel good, get these little hits of
1: feel good. But it's also indicative of who you are because th- no one who's like really competent at something is engaging in that all day mm-hmm. long. Like, that that thing is usually by people that don't feel like they're getting the attention they deserve. Yeah. And then they'll go after whatever the fuck it is. that can Elevate yeah. them. Yeah. Whatever yeah. it is. Whatever cause there is, it's mm. du jour. Yes. You, know? <laughs> you have to fucking yeah. – that you get to either yell at people or yell with people.
0: Yeah. And I think for me, it's interesting. I don't know whether this is true or not, but one of my sort of pet theories is that the rise of all this social justice activism online happens – um, after the financial crisis, so in, you know, in 2008, it begins with the Occupy movement, and you can sort of draw a straight line through Occupy mm. to what's going on today. And I think there's a sense amongst millennials and Gen Zs, partly a real truth sense, that the success games that we were playing in the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s are over now. The game is fixed. Um, for for millennials and gen, Z, gen z's life is harder in lots of real ways they can't get on the property ladder they've got massive student debt yeah. they're underemployed um so 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 what do you do if you can't play the success games that we gen x has played in the 90s well you play virtue games instead so you know we have to get our status from somewhere so yeah. if, if success is hard we're, we're going to do more virtue yeah. so so i, I think that's p- at least part of the explanation for what's Happened since you know that's the financial crisis was is you know the story that we were left with was that these people were were unpunished uh, that the that, that the game is fixed it's dangerous it's um, it's not working anymore so there's yeah. a lot of anger you know comes out of that
1: yeah it's um. It's just so unfortunate how easy it is to engage in this behavior and how few guidelines there are Mm. to like other than your work and some other people have talked about it, but it's like the way you're saying it and the way you're saying it in your book and the way you said it on trigonometry, it it allows people to have like a look at the wiring under the board. Mm. Like, oh, this is what the problem is. And I would hope that people that are engaged in that realize like what a psychological capture that shit is it's it's so weird for you because you get i've, I've had friends that have had like real problems with like engaging with people on on twitter like they'll, they'll post a hot take yeah. and then someone will post back and they'll be like walking down the street and they can't even walk five steps before they're checking they want to check their likes <laughs> yeah. and check their thing yeah. and see who's yeah. responding and then respond to the person who's responding and fuck you and fuck this and and everybody's trying to zing on everybody and it's it's not good. <laughs> it's not good yes. in any way shape or form. It never turns out well. There's no. never one of those. You go, "I feel good about that." <laughs> yeah, that, that was really that, good. I definitely won that one. Not, yeah. That, not just, just that, happen. but I feel like we got some good accomplished. Mm. No, that's most of those are not that. Most of yeah. those are hostile, weird um it, like unnatural ways of communicating you're just mm. communicating through text with strangers it's yeah. like so unnatural
0: and it is it's, I mean that's what that's what social media uh, is it's, it's they've they've, they've t- taken the status games of life and put them in yeah. I- in your phone I mean and that's what like like in the 90s there was all this like from Wired magazine and people all this digital utopianism. and I thought that when we were all online um, it was going to create this hierarchy-free utopia. But, of course, that's not what happens when you connect billions of people together. They play status games. That's what they do. And those three games of dominance, virtue, and success, that's social media. You know, we're pushing each other around, we're virtue signaling, and we're showing off about our success. That's what we're doing. And that's why, you know, that's why social media is so addictive because every time you make a contribution to social media, you're, like, pulling the wheel of that slot machine and... Either love. your status goes up or it goes down, and yeah. that's why they're doing this because it's, it's it's compulsive because mm-hmm. we're gambling with a resource that is in- incredibly important to us.
1: Yeah, and you can do so in a way that never existed before. Mm. Like, if you're some guy who's shredded and you just do fucking <laughs> curls on on Instagram all day, you'll yeah. get a lot of people to pay attention to you. Yeah, absolutely. You just have workouts with your shirt off, you'll get a lot of followers. If you're a woman in her underwear rolling around you know, on on sheets and stuff, you get a lot of followers for doing not much else. And and that's the, that, that, that's the sort of the halting
0: thing when I realized that actually, you know, status is a resource that we need. If we don't get enough status, we get mentally ill and we get physically ill too. So being low status is bad for us physically. And a lot of people have more status in their phones than they do in their actual real life. You know, they're going to their ordinary job in their ordinary town. But on this platform, they're really someone. They've got a bunch of followers. So it's, so, it's, that's, that shows you how, you know, why social media is so powerful. It's like it's been globally successful in every culture um, social media is caught on because it's offering something that humans fundamentally value enormously and need to survive, which is, which is status. It's a new way of harvesting this incredibly valuable resource that we value more than gold,
1: you know. When you say that people get physically ill from it, like what happens to people when they don't get status physically?
0: Well, it's the same as – I think it's quite well known that loneliness is bad for us. But loneliness is connection. Status is the same. So there was a bunch of really interesting experiments done in the UK in the British Civil Service, which is a massive organization, hugely stratified. And this guy, Dr. Michael Marmot, and his team went in there to, and they, they found that um, your place in the hierarchy predicted your health outcomes – and this wasn't to do with how healthy you were in other respects, or it wasn't to do with your diet, you know, where they controlled for all of that stuff. Um, um, literally, the person one down from the very top had slightly worse health outcomes than the person at the very top. And they were really significant. So for middle-aged people, uh, the people at the bottom of the hierarchy had four times the risk of death than the people at the top of the hierarchy. Wow. And, then they, and then other academics went into the lab and they did an experiment with, with monkeys, I think baboons, and they gave these monkeys these delicious diets of like pizza and ice cream. They basically <laughs> made them really unhealthy, so filled them with atherosclerotic plaque um, and figured and tried to work out who got sick and who didn't get sick as a result of their terrible diets And it was it was the people that the monkeys at the bottom of the hierarchy got got sick more You know more reliably than the people than the monkeys at the top and then Even cru- on
1: the ter- same terrible diet
0: Yeah, and, and and crucially they then they then somehow changed the hierarchy and the health outcomes changed in long, lockstep so the so the the monkey that was at the top. how SOP, did they change the hierarchy? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how they did that. Oh, no, that I don't know because that seems probably like... don't want to know. It's probably really horrific. Because right, monkeys, yeah. Like, how do you pull you that live. off? Yeah. So, so 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 it is. It's the it's the, it's the status hierarchy, and, and and it's for the same reason as loneliness. When the brain registers that we're that we we're, we're lacking in the resource of status, it puts us into that stress state of. Yeah. Raises inflammation, lowers the antiviral response, and we're not designed to be in that state for long periods of time. Um, it's that that's a, that's a, a response that's designed for being you know being chased or attacked. It's supposed to be like this, mm. and so chronic inflammation is really bad for us. It makes us more vulnerable to you know cancer, Alzheimer's, all kinds of horrific. Um, um, issues, so, so that's why lacking in status is, is is bad for our physical health. It's the same reasons
1: why loneliness is bad for our physical health. And it that has to play a role in what state. gets diagnosed as depression. Then, oh,
0: status is massive for depression. Um, a sudden drop in status is a is a red flag for for suicidal ideation when we suddenly drop in status. Mm. Um, so, so, so you know, anxiety, depression, self harm is all tied to feeling sort of low in status. And in my in my spare time, I volunteer back in the UK for a, a, a like a crisis hotline. People phone it, particularly when they're
1: suicidal. Oh and man, what a great thing if someone suicidal, they get a hold of you. <laughs> That's a cool conversation. <laughs> you know, some people. <laughs> They'd be droning on and on, you're like bro, you're not inspiring. Help me out. Well, what I found is that the people who are suicidal who
0: call me, there's, the, 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 there's generally three reasons why people get suicidal. In my experience, on the phones, the first one is chronic pain. People, obviously. Uh, second one is people struggle with recent bereavement. People become suicidal when somebody they love or a pet they love um, has gone. But the, by far the most common reason people phone when I've spoken to a suicidal is to do with their now I call it identity failure. They 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 they're, they're severely lacking in connection or status, usually both. And not only are they lacking, they're stuck. They're trapped. They feel like there's nothing I can do. My life is so fucked. There's no way I can ever meet anybody. There's no way I can ever feel statusful in the world. And and so so, so so yeah, this is it's it's a massive red flag for uh, you know that's 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 a, a huge reason why humans choose to end their lives because they,
1: they, they feel like I, I'm severely lacking in connection and status. This is such an important thing to talk about because this is never discussed when people talk about depression. All mm. they ever want to tell you is that it's a chemical problem. It's not your fault. That's yeah. all they ever want to tell you. Yeah. They don't want to tell you that the quality of your life affects the way you feel. Mm. And if you're doing what you want to do and you have good friends and you're having fun times and you're a good person, you're nice to people, Mm. they're nice back, they like being around you because you're fun, then your life is better. But that's connection. Status is also really, you know, it's it's, It's it's rooted in that. It's it's a big part of that. And all of that contributes to this thing that we call depression. Absolutely. And no one wants to say that. They want to say, get on this. Come on, man. Mm. We got something for you, buddy. Yeah, it's crazy because, because it, it seems so obvious. <laughs> it seems so obvious. It does, you know, but you yeah. can't bring it up. No. It's almost like it's a foreboding topic. Mm. Like you, you can't say, well, how much of it is like what you're doing with your life? Yeah. Um, uh, does that factor in at all? How much of it is like the kind of friends you're around? Well, What kind of relationship exactly. you're in? I mean, one of the
0: things I do because of my th- knowing about status when I'm on the phone with these people is I always make the point of, at the end of the call, trying to build them up a bit you know i, I tell them and i mean it sincerely that the the fact that they phoned in this what is probably the worst night of their life is heroic that they're courageous that most yeah. most people don't suffer like you're suffering and and you know so so, so what you're you know like I, these and it always it always goes down well they always go oh my god wow you know no one's yeah. ever said that stuff to me before like it's like a you know, it's magic the effect it has on the phones when you just give people a bit of. I think you're an impressive person. I think you're kind. I think you're smart, or whatever it is that I feel yeah. they are on the phones. There was a there was a case recently in in the UK. Um, a teacher, um, a head teacher, uh, killed herself when her school was inspected by the government inspectors, and it went down from outstanding to inadequate. Oh, you know, God. and she, she she killed herself, and, and they they found her journals. From like the day before she did that, and, and she said she said in the journal, um, the words inadequate keep flashing before my eyes. I oh mean, so that's God. yeah. That, I mean, so that's that's horrific. It was a big oh. scandal about oh, you know, are these judgments can we really reduce a judgment of the quality of the school to one word? Um, uh, but 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 that was an example of somebody. You know, her problem was that she was really proud of the school she was running. It was an outstanding school, and suddenly it went to inadequate, and the pain of that sudden loss of status was too much for this poor woman to was it an accurate statement or was well, uh, was it i don't was know was the
1: school doing poorly for some reason or was it just know. a cunty person <laughs> that, that's the question that's I mean, the I problem with cuntiness right yeah we kind of tolerate that kind of communication mm. with people and we, we look in and we watch from a side like oh mm. you know but There's something to that that is you really are pumping out negativity. Mm. It does have an actual effect on human beings on the other end as much as you like to pretend it's some sort of a sterile professional act that you're doing. That's it. Yeah, you're pumping out shitty yeah. things and I mean, doing you, it for status, right? And we, well, when you take someone's status away, like they
0: took her status away, yeah. you're, it, it, I feel it is like an act of social violence. Like our, our identity is of massive importance to us. And so when someone takes that away, that's why acts of actual physical violence, while well, they often happen, is when someone is disrespectful to somebody else. Yes. And the act of physical violence doesn't only restore that status back to its sort of set point. It turns that humiliation into a sense of pride
1: know you know, yes. you know
0: so, so so that's why violence is so um tempting it's why if you if you have the capacity for violence it, it's often used because it, it, it can transform that sense of humiliation into a sense of pride it turns a negative status into a positive status and and
1: yes the key is to have enough faith that you don't care yeah you have to have enough where you don't mind some little <laughs> breach of your status you're like oh yeah. really mm. someone disrespects you you don't have to prove to them mm. Because you have to understand what game you're playing. Mm. Most people don't. But the consequences yeah. of violence are grave. Oh, like yeah. you do not want to engage in mm. this this pattern of behavior that people have locked into their brain. Mm. Most of the time, we don't use it. You know, the vast majority of human history, they used it a lot. Yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah. that yeah. again is carved yeah. into your brain. Yeah, you must resist. Yeah,
0: you know, in uh, any way. And most, but most sort of violent acts, you sort of concentrates in young men Mm -hmm. uh, who are lower on the socioeconomic scale. So Mm -hmm. they're they're people who are more aggressive by nature, physically, because they're, they're built for that, but, but, but the socioeconomic stuff- They feel slighted. Yeah, but they're, they're, their sense of status yeah. is much more fragile, because they're, 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 they haven't got some great job, they haven't got a college yeah. education, and so they're much more worried about, insecure about their sense of status, so when you take it away from them, it's, 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 it's kind of much more That's a real
1: danger of the status game of telling those people that someone's done this to you, mm. and that those people, those people should not be heard from. Mm you know yeah. those people the the reason why you're in the situation that you're in when you're empowering people to hate someone specifically because of the way they look no matter what you think the justifications for that it's the exact same thing in every culture when that happens mm. it's just racism yeah absolutely it's all it is yeah and you can and you're getting trapped into it because of what you're talking about because mm. it's a status game and you mm. could you could dominate someone by calling them out because of their privilege, and you can stop a conversation in its tracks yeah. and become completely illogical mm. just by deciding I'm not listening to a white man. Yes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, that, that's absolutely right. It's that, interesting. That's absolutely true. Yeah. It's interesting because it's like it's the oldest trick in the book. It's mm. been around for so long, and um, we would think that we would learn, but there's something about us where we don't see the exact same thing if it's not Nazis with swastikas, mm. we don't see That's it coming.
0: It. Well, I, I think, what, again, it's that storytelling brain. We're playing a status game, but, but but we our conscious experience of life is a story, and it's, it's, it's fiction, and the story always wants, wants to make us heroic, so we're virtuous. And I think that makes – people's hatreds are invisible to them. So you, you, you could say to somebody, and I have said to somebody <laughs> relatively recently, um, you know, I think you hate men. You've, you've got a problem with men. You're always – saying this about men and that about men, like, it's, it's, it's not very nice. And then she said to me, well, you don't understand the problems I've had in my life with men. I've been abused. I've been disdainting the other... All of which is true. But... but So that's her brain telling herself a heroic, virtuous story that justifies her, her hatred of this class of human beings. And that's true for everybody. That's true for people who hate women. That's also true for misogynists. Mm-hmm. That's true for, um, you know, white people who hate black people. That's true yep. for everybody's hatred is dressed up in a virtuous story. And Mm. I I think that's right. As soon as you start identifying a class of human being and saying these people are low status, these people are the source of my problems, Mm -hmm. that's when when you know that's happening to you. And, you know, at some point it happens to all of us. It's human nature. We are xenophobic by design. You know, our, our group's our status games we feel we're wired to feel they're superior because they're our source of status so this stuff is incredibly tempting like i like i I, you know like i you know we've all fallen for this stuff in our in in, if we're honest in in our past and i think it's just really important just to be on the lookout for it and 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 to be conscious of the fact that our brains are really good at turning our hatreds into a virtue. They're really good at telling us, no, you're right, you're mm. right, these people are the, are the problem, um, and your um, animus towards them is actually a good thing, it's heroic.
1: Boy, what a weird fucking programming that we have. Yeah, well, it's pure tribalism, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. It's just, uh, it's, it's so bizarre to see how baked in that is. Mm. You know, and, and even with really well-intentioned, highly educated people. You know, they just get sucked
0: into it. Well, they- especially, they're, they're, they, I mean, you probably know about the studies that show that intelligence is no inoculation to this stuff. Yeah. So, 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 so being more intelligent. Um, it doesn't make you any better at finding reasons why your stories about the world are false. Right. But it does make you better at finding reasons why they're true. So really smart people can give you 10 reasons why they're justified in their hatred of this, that and the other. Mm. <laughs> Whereas somebody less smart can only give you like three or four. So, 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 so intelligence is no inoculation to this stuff. If anything, it, makes it, it makes, makes it kind of worse. I mean, one of my stories that I wrote in one of my books... Um, uh, called the Heretics. Uh, was I was hanging out with this guy, David Irving. Do you know David Irving? No. So David Irving was is a re- was a really well respected historian of the Second World War. Um, and he just decided one day that Hitler was actually, in his words, a friend of the Jews, and, had, and <laughs> uh, yeah, that's what he said. And, and he had no idea the Holocaust had happened, and it was all done by what? his subordinates. Yeah, yeah, he's been to prison for his for his for his anti-Semitic beliefs. Like, like, but, but he was really respected. Like, the reason we know about Dresden, the firebombing of Dresden, was because of his scholarship. I think even in highest Five, he's mentioned positively and so he's completely excommunicated now from his f- f- from the historical you know establishment um he he, he, he believes this stuff so passionately that, that that he was kind of offered the opportunity to withdraw his opinions in an austrian court it's in his 70s this was and he refused and went to he went to prison <laughs> in, in his 70s and so what wow. i did because in, in my book does the Heretics, it's, called The Unpersuadables in the US. It was about why people believe crazy things and the stories that we tell. And I wanted to it's, hang out with him because he's an incredibly intelligent man who has these fucking mad you know, <laughs> beliefs about, uh, about the world. And so what I did was, in order to make money at the time, he was selling these tours of... Um, holocaust site so you you could pay two and a half grand and go for a week with him on these tour, and it would give you the real in inverted commas history of what actually happened in these places where was
1: he getting this information from supposedly
0: well i mean he was from the archives i mean it was his own scholarship but he was doing that thing that you know he was finding his own
1: interpretations of this scholarship and, and what w- did he say about like the trenches filled with bodies oh or-
0: well i mean he, he went through a period of outright holocaust denial which which he then kind of repented and, and the reason that he, his, his flirtation with outright holocaust denial was based on this study this guy this guy um he took a chip out of the wall of one of the gas chambers and had it analyzed, and he said, "Is this
1: the Doctor Death thing?"
0: I don't, I don't think so. There was a
1: documentary on this guy, Doctor Death, it who might was be. a guy who made uh, execution equipment in the United States, and he got roped up with this Holocaust denier group, and they sent him to Auschwitz to Maybe. examine. The, and he and he said that it didn't show any of the signs of gas. No,
0: the, the, the one that got Irving <laughs> was that uh, was that this person said, "Well, the amount of toxins in this concrete isn't even enough to." Um, kill a cockroach, but what what he didn't understand was that cockroaches are really unbelievably good at surviving, and it's much easier to kill a human than a cockroach. Well,
1: not only that, uh, that stuff subsides into the. We looked at it the other day. Yeah, that right. That stuff subsides into the atmosphere yeah. very quickly. Like if you if you used it in a room and then opened up the doors, it would go into the atmosphere very quickly. Okay. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So anyway, I mean, but I mean, to be fair to Irving, because uh, he did re- he did admit that, that that he'd made a mistake there, but he's still a. a, 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 a Deeply, deeply anti-Semitic man. I mean, when when I was talking to him, so this, he this was became, from the beginning, and uh, then that flavored his Holocaust denial. Well, it was weird. What, what what I got from him was that he actually was somebody that is very pro-British Empire, and I think he yeah. liked Hitler. Like his family, he his, his history goes back to you know is all very embedded in the British Empire, and and he and he he blamed Hitler. He he liked Hitler because Hitler was modelling the Third Reich on the British Empire and we had to kind of relinquish empire to pay for the Second World War or something. So, he, so that, that was my sense. But but more interesting than Irving were the people that, because the people that were on the tour were actual proper Nazis. Like they had proper Nazi tattoos. Jesus. Like full on. And I was undercover so I had to pretend uh, that I was also like them. It was kind of a scary week. Um, but one of the most.
1: Did you get to talk to any of them?
0: All of them. I was hanging out with them. I was on holiday with them. <laughs> I was on a coach with them and <laughs> going. And, yeah, like. What it was, are they like? They're so weird. So they're they're all men. <laughs> um, they. I mean, I write about this in the book. I hesitate to to say it, but 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 I, I do write about it. they, they were quite nice. So so so, 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 this is, so British So, 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 so this, is the, this is the weird thing So what happened was I interviewed David Irving on day one And, and you know At the time I was a Guardian journalist so I couldn't hide my disdain for him And, it, and I, I kind of fucked up I, I let it be known Through my line of questioning That I felt he was a racist lunatic So he kind of walked off And I was kind of panicking um, because I was thinking I've not got enough material for my book I need to interview him again and I was talking to the Nazis <laughs> about oh, I'm freaking out and then, it, and then um, the person organising the tour I kept hassling saying I need to speak to David again I need to speak to David again and she said to me "Oh, you know you might not know this but all the boys have got together and in your lectures at the end of the day they're all asking questions um asking David questions that they think are going to be useful and helpful for your book because they think you've been really badly treated. And I just thought, well, that's so nice of that them. Nice. <laughs> I know. But that's the thing. They, they And that's what I write about in the book. It's like the, the idea that these are monsters, that's storytelling. They're just blokes who've made a mistake about the world. And what was most interesting about that was that the majority of those men had parents that had fought for the Nazis in the Second World War. So there was one guy on the last night of the, of the, of the, of the trip, they were going to have the showing of the, you know, the film Downfall, the super... Do you know the film Downfall? No. It's a German film, it's incredible. It's a super realistic um, uh, account of the last seven days of Hitler's life in the Hitler bunker. It's an incredible, incredible film. It's all, it's all set in the bunker. Um, and so Irving was going to show Downfall and give his alternative take on what was really going on. And one of these guys couldn't watch Downfall because his dad was in the bunker with Hitler wow. and he found it too upsetting. And that was a big light bulb moment for me. So my wow. my takeaway from that was that these, David Irving aside, these guys had all been brought up by parents who were proper Nazis. And obviously Nazis are synonym for evil and they couldn't cope with the fact that their dads, probably mums perhaps as well, Um, were evil. So they'd they'd, they'd, they'd kind of gone on this lifelong mission to convince themselves that the Holocaust was this kind of fabrication and that none of it actually happened. So the stories that in Brain Kicks in, they couldn't allow themselves to believe this horrific thing about their parents who they adored and looked up to. And probably their parents had filled
1: their head with some of this stuff too, you know. Knowing what you know about our desire for status and how that's just impossible to remove from the the human mind and and human society... Do you think that we could have, like, a warning guidebook <laughs> for human beings? The same way the Constitution is sort of a warning guidebook yeah. to establish a republic. Like, let's make some real clear checks and balances, and let's make sure that the senators and the Congress people and all this stuff gets in place in the judicial branch. And they planned it out to make sure that one person couldn't just kind of take over and mm-hmm. run it. It feels like... We should have guidelines, specifically that we teach people at an early age, mm. to recognize that and call it out when you see it mm. and go, no, 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 no. Yeah. This is not, you know, I know what you're doing. Like, you're you're hijacking this for your own good. Yeah. And we know when people do it, we can't say it. Because yeah. if they attach themselves to a virtuous cause, what are you criticizing? Blank? You know, like, yeah. you, what are you, yeah. a, a Nazi, a racist, a transphobe, whatever it is. Yeah. It's like... We should be able to see those outside of the merits of the ideas that we're discussing. Whatever we're discussing, Mm. whatever it is that's some sort of public social issue that everybody's debating, we should be able to discuss it outside of this – Status trap yeah, where if you yell this everybody goes yeah, yeah. you yell that that should be childlike. Yeah, we should like Shun people <laughs> to do that and teach people at a fucking really early age not to do it mm. and It's hard to learn because there's no precedent. It's not like there's like You know a hundred years of history on how to use the internet property mm. nobody knows Yeah, uh, they're just doing it because it seems like a thing to do that makes you feel good gives you a little shitty dopamine spike And so they just dive in But if we could explain to people when they're very young, when they're impressionable, these are patterns Mm. that human beings fall into. And this is why they do these things that you think they're they're being mean or Mm. they're being bullies. This is why. These are all the patterns. And so the kids could get it in their head. And maybe they could stop doing it while they're doing it at a young age and learn better patterns. And then as they get older just sort of like have a much more rational way of interfacing with people.
0: Yeah, I think so. I think I think I think we should be taught this stuff. I mean, one of the things that I took away from this was that you get this idea about fascism and totalitarians how that happens is that these evil people you come marching in and forcing everybody to believe certain things yeah but when you look at um say the rise of the nazis fascists totalitarians they don't go in and force you to do anything they tell you stories that you want to hear they flatter you into you know that's what the nazis did they 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 told the germans you're right they're wrong we're going to get you what you deserve and we're going to take it out on these people that whose fault it is So 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 this you know this this fascist government, this, this this horrific episode in our history, it it, it didn't begin with force. It began with telling people stories, stories that they wanted to hear, simplistic stories about status, about you're wrong, um, it's their fault. We're gonna, I'm gonna give you what you know. We're gonna make Germany great again. Yeah. Um And you know people people love that stuff. I mean, the the, the other thing that I think is that people that, that, that people sort of need to hear at the moment, I suppose, is about you can't take the status away from a group of people and expect no pushback. So that you know that that that's why Trump got voted in because since the sixties, the left have stopped caring about the white working class and poverty and started caring much more about minorities and women for lots of very good reasons, obviously. But 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 when you ignore a group and they feel disparaged and 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 the real working wages for the white working class in America has fallen since the since the sixties, their quality of life has ha, has plummeted. Um, they're going to react, and it's the same way that I feel that we that we're treating young men at the moment. You can't raise a, a generation of young men in an environment where, where you take all their status away and not expect them to react so people yeah. worry about oh my god andrew tate how are people flocking to these the, 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 these men that I, I don't know anything about andrew tate but you know say he is misogynist um what how, how could it be that the our young men are, are flocking to this individual it's because you're calling them a you know you're calling them yeah. names you're re, you're removing their status so you can't you know, the left need to understand that you can't disparage and dismiss and insult these entire categories of people. And I speak as a lifelong left-wing person. Yeah. You can't do that and not expect some pushback.
1: My friend Duncan said that about the pandemic mm. when the, the people on the left were attacking all the people on the right. He said, dude... This is going to lead to a totalitarian right-wing government. Mm. He goes, watch what this happens. Yeah. watch what happens because all these people on the left are going crazy. He's like, and when I saw the the riots and shutting down the streets, he was like, oh this is going to lead to a totalitarian right-wing government because it's going to be the opposite reaction to this yeah
0: yeah yes exactly so the, the, yeah the, the the harder one hits the harder the response mm-hmm. and then the harder they hit back and yeah and it ratchets up till so the war. rhetoric with <laughs> <fuck? laughs> the rhetoric ratchets up doesn't it I mean that, oh, that, that, that that's what yeah. happens it's um
1: it, it is potentially dangerous it's potentially very dangerous and it's not dangerous right here, yet, right Mm. now. But it is if you're in Gaza. It certainly is if you're in Ukraine. It Mm. certainly is in other parts of the world where they convince people that these people are the bad people, and we're the good people, and go get them. Mm. Whew! And then there's the reality of bad people. What do you do (laughs) about them? I mean, you can't just ignore the fact that there's terrorists out there. Like, you gotta look at all of it. The whole thing is fucking nuts. And if we can recognize patterns and how people fall into patterns, I think we can have less nuts. Just like this has to be established like at a young age. Yeah. You got to get it in. It's hard for people once they've become Mm. set in their ways. And especially if they're like politically active or socially active online and they're really kind of addicted to it. That's Mm. really where they get their jollies from. If you just tell them right now, you got to cut that out. Like, what am I going to do for 10 hours a day? (laughs) That's literally what I do. You know, that's one of my um, things that I've always gone back and forth in my head about is universal basic income. Mm. One part of me is always like, you know what, if people just had enough money for food and shelter, then they could go do what they wanna do. They could chase their dreams and pursue their dreams. The other part of me is like, yeah, but then they're not gonna have any incentive to do anything. They're gonna have their food taken care of, they're gonna have their shelter taken care of, and they're just gonna fucking, there's gonna be a certain percentage of people that are never gonna get their ass going. Mm. They're never gonna. They're, we're gonna miss wasted potential of people who could have pulled their life together and become something really special mm. by overcoming these bizarre obstacles that lead you to success in any given field. But if all of a sudden you you have all your food taken care of and your shelter taken care of and you just want to sit there, and you're okay, but you like see, you have no. There's a certain amount of people that yeah. need a little something to get them going. Yeah. and a lot of like really ambitious people came from poverty. Yeah. And it's because when they were young, they didn't have shit. And then they figured out that there's you got to work harder and you got to go after things. But I think we
0: all have different personalities and, and people are going to respond to poverty in different ways. And some people have a particular personality where they're wired – more for the pursuit of status, where they're going to go. Fuck this, this right? Not, you know, a certain percentage are going to go won't. for it.
1: They're going to use it and they're going to chase their dreams.
0: Yeah, and my so my argument is, is a bit, uh, as, as a as a lefty is that is that a lot of that is genetic and, and can't be helped. So really, yeah, yeah, so genetic, yeah. yeah How like, so? It's like so so. Uh, you know, ballpark figure fifty percent of who we are is is genetic. So, so we all have different personality types. Right. And um, so, if you're extrovert, um, that's a good thing in our neoliberal market economy because you're sociable, um, you're ambitious. Uh, if you're low in agreeableness, that's also a good thing in, in our particular um, uh, environment because you're competitive. But if but if you're not those things, and if you have a low IQ, and if you are, uh, th- th- then you are, you you, you know, you are going to struggle massively to compete in in the world today. So my argument is that is that those people deserve some help. You know, those those people deserve a a social safety net because there's no such thing as a pure meritocracy because we're not we don't human brains don't roll off the production line at Foxconn. We're all wired differently with different talents and the fact is some people have low iq some people have personalities which are antisocial uh, which mean that they can't get on in human groups they lose their temper and we can try and help those people but you can't completely rewire those people like it's impossible for example to turn an extrovert into an introvert because of you know because a, a lot of that is genetic like we're born with these semi finished brains so so genes aren't fate but they do set us in a certain direction and most of the rest of that kind of creation of self happens when we're young in the first 20 years of life. Um, and it's mostly sort of episodes of life over which, over which we have no control. So by the time we're in our 20s, early 20s, we're kind of who we are. Uh, there's not much that's going to change us I- in a dramatic sense, apart from serious trauma. Um, so, so I think that's why we, you know, that idea of neoliberalism with cushions. I think there are categories of people that are always going to need our help through no fault of their own, because they're just not equipped biologically to deal with this hyper-competitive world that we're all born into these days.
1: What percentage of people that do have the potential to break out of that won't because of a social assistance net that's a little bit too comfortable?
0: Well, I I, I think...
1: Is there a a percentage that we're going to lose?
0: I don't know, but, but, but I think what we need to have is... I mean, I think that's why education is so important, because a good school system will find those incredible, talented people. Like my father was from a family of bricklayers going back generations, and he had a scholarship to Oxford University. You know, you, 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 yeah, a great school system discovers those people and motivates them and tells them you could have incredible stuff if you just do a bit of work you've got an excellent mind and an excellent personality and and i I think that's the that's the job of the school system is to is to is to to find those people and give them the very best education they can possibly have and again that's a that's a welfare kind of social safety net tax
1: big sort of slightly bigger tax thing that certainly is but the idea of just straight money and housing oh right yeah that's what i'm talking about yeah straight money and housing is a different kind of social safety Mm. net And I think that there's a real good argument for what you're saying that some people are just – they just don't have the tools. Mm. But then there's also a good argument that some people have never been given the opportunity to excel in a thing that they're interested in because Mm. they never really found a thing they're interested in. Mm. It's just getting – there's some people that were like led very – unspectacular lives and then they found this one thing and they got really good at that one thing and became a superstar at it and they'll they'll tell you you know i was 28 years old i was just kind of fucking around one day with my friends and then i really got into it and then i started that and the next thing you know like this guy's like a like a famous person in the field or whatever it is that happens that does happen but it probably happens less if you have everything taken care of mm. so there's a bunch of things going on there's people that are kind of hopeless unfortunately, and Mm. maybe that is uh, a genetic thing. Maybe at least some of them, it is a genetic thing. But then there's also people that are uninterested and maybe uninspired, and maybe they just, maybe it's not as simple as them going to school. It's just maybe like seeing someone around you that lives life in a way that you admire. Mm. Someone who's like, I wanna be like that guy, Mm. or I wanna be like her. Like, what is that? And where? how do you get that to people? Because that's a big factor. That's a giant factor in who you become uh, as a an adult human being, it's like, who are you exposed to as a
0: child? Absolutely, yeah. So there's, there's a really great academic, he may have even been on this, I don't know, called Joseph Henrich, He's done lots of work in how we operate in groups. And he, he he's done this research that shows um, that um, those people that we kind of glom onto, you know, especially when we're young, but, but we never stop doing it. Um, there, there are various cues in our environment that we subconsciously seek out to mimic people one of them is similarity so 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 we identify people who are a bit like us so men are more likely to glom onto men women women that kind of thing um and then there's, there's other various cues there's like um uh skill cues so if we see somebody's really competent at something we'll be you know we, we, we'll start to mimic them and copy them um there's success cues so the, the the symbols of success so the fast car or in the tribal context the the necklace of teeth Um, and then then, then the other one is um, prestige cues so if we see lots of other people attending to one person we'll also attend to them and then um, the the, the psychologists call this the Paris Hilton effect where the more people look at somebody the more people look at them and it just goes into this runaway thing and you get somebody like Paris Hilton who's got no apparently (laughs) skill for anything who becomes globally famous so so the brain's always looking for these people um, to um, sort of Identify and then copy. And, and the logic is that these people are high status. They, they, they've worked out how to earn status in the game that we're playing. And so by copying them, we too will learn and, and, and rise in status. Mm. So I guess that's just a long-winded winded way of saying that role models are really important. And I think that's why we see... You know, the government always worries about issues of like street gangs in socio-economic, lo, lo, you know, in poor places, yeah. jihadist groups I, 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 in those yeah. places. And the reason we have street gangs and jihadist groups isn't because boys will be boys and they're naughty, they're criminals, they're monsters. <laughs> they're naughty. It's, it, yeah, it's because they need status. And, and so if you're a, if you're a young man growing up in a horrible estate in South London, and you're 14 years old and you want status and you've got a choice. I'm going to work in the supermarket, stuck in shelves. Or I'm going to become a drug dealer and drive a Ferrari. What are you going to choose? Yeah. So, 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 so that's what society needs to figure out. It's kind of what you were saying is, is, that, is that we need to give young people, especially in lower socioeconomic groups, more opportunities to earn status. I mean, that's one of the things about being middle class, is that you get all those opportunities to earn status. You get an education, you go to college, you can choose all these careers. But poorer people just don't have those opportunities. And so I think you're right. I think lives are wasted. Val- human value is wasted because those
1: opportunities just aren't made for young people. You ever listen to Gangstar? No. Gangstar has a song about it called Just To Get A Rep. Oh, really? Yeah. It's all about people doing things just to get a reputation. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, there, there, there was a a, um, a a guy in the 70s who went to this – it was Nigerian Africa. And there used to be this um, – ro- like, a, like a run by the royals, so aristocratic um, rulers. And then these jihadists came in and just got rid of them all. And he was curious, this guy. His name was Bascom, I think, that what Jerome Bascom – why is it that Islam is really popular in this place? Because it, they should, it should be hated because they've, they've swept away everybody's um, status games, the existing status games they were playing. So he went in and he, and he met two uh, former like descendants of the royal, royalty. And one of them was a, a, a peanut seller and he was miserable. And he was kind of stooped and depressed and struggled in his marriage and was bitter because he used to be this big man and now he was nothing. And the other guy had gone into you know, the Islamic, the Muslim, the status game of Islam. Mm. And, he, you know, he learned the Koran uh, by the age of 16, which is a very prestigious. So he was you know, killing it. So he, and yeah, and he, so, so, so he was killing it. So he, um, he, he was proud. He had multiple wives. He was happy. Nice. So he wasn't wealthy, but he was happy. So he, so he said, you know, that's why Islam was popular in, in that place. It's because it was offering a, a new and functional status game. So when you've got nothing... You you find a game to play if you want to be successful in your own mind and in your own in your own health and and so that that's how Islam became so popular and successful there and that's how you know how religions become popular generally they offer people who
1: have not much else reliable paths to status. Yeah, that's why they try to squash them as quick as they can in this country when new (laughs) ones pop up. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. thus Waco, you know. Yeah, and thus uh, so many of them. Well, that's what, ha- is, again, that's what happens in, under
0: communism and Nazism. One of the first things they do is they get rid of all the other rival status games. Yeah. Like a big one in the Soviet Union was the, the, the Christians. You know, they, they they would torture and kill them. Uh, yeah, yeah, because it was, cause, and it's still in China today. They, Uyghurs. You know, yeah, it's, yeah. Um,
1: they, 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 they
0: see religion as a rival status game. And you can't have that in a big totalitarian
1: state. Whew. Yeah. The Uyghur one's a crazy one, right? Because mm. it's hard to get information about mm. what, what exactly is going on. What mm. are they making these people do? Yeah. It's um such a strange subject in that it's so pivotal. It's, it's so crucial. To understanding how human beings behave and what we do, but yet it's so rarely addressed. Instead, they look at all the symptoms. Yeah, everybody looks at all the uh, side effects and all Mm. the the problem, but they're not looking at the actual pattern that people seem to just naturally fall into.
0: Yeah, I was amazed when I wrote the book that nobody had written it before (laughs) because it's just it just seems so fundamental. Yeah, and I think part of the thing is that people are in denial about their own interested in status yeah, i think we've I think evolved so. to hide it from, from from ourselves and and so 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 people insist that they're not interested in status but you, like you, are. <laughs> if you it, are like it's in your wiring everybody is like n- nobody wants to be called an asshole
1: yeah th- at all and and, and, yeah. and that's
0: because it's a Removal of your status.
1: Yeah, it's like that thing—the I don't care thing. Of course you care. Everybody cares. Yeah, it's nonsense. And you get you get
0: like self-help gurus saying you shouldn't care what other people think about you, but it's like you're always going to care. It's nonsense. It's nonsense talk. We're designed to care very deeply because other people give us our. Yeah. our status so, and also why would you not want to care because that's right. that's a psychopath
1: like, <laughs> exactly yeah. that's yeah. the problem yeah.
0: yeah the other thing yeah. they say is that how do we get out of the status game and it's like the same thing it's like we why would you want to because status is your reward for offering value to other people so why would you not want to offer value to other people that's like the definition of a loser right like if you <laughs> if you stop caring that yeah. other people think you're a valuable person. Then you really are those people that you were talking about that just have no get up and go. Then you're the Unabomber, there. exactly. Yeah. yeah,
1: the Unabomber really didn't like people.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, but he, he he was another one. He was another guy that that, that you know the roots of the Unabomber is is, is fascinating that he that he went to. Was it Harvard University yeah. and
1: had those, those experiments? So,
0: and, that, and that was an exercise in humiliation. Yes,
1: yeah, so it was the LSD studies. And part of the, what they did, when they would dose him up with LSD, and they would do humiliating things to him and berate him yep. and... They, it was, they were doing it as an experiment. They were trying to see what they could do to him mm. and how he would react. And the fact that they were using LSD while they were doing this is so nuts.
0: Yeah, they, they, they got him to... They said it was a genomic experiment, and the first thing to do was he had to write down in great detail all of his secrets, all of his hopes and dreams, like his most personal, important things. And then he was sat in a desk like this with lights shining in his face and all these people were just mocking him, mocking him, mocking him, tearing him to bits. Mm. So absolutely humiliated him. And then what happened? You know what, the, you know the, the
1: story of his childhood too? I don't know the story of his childhood. When he was a baby, he was very ill. Mm. And so they brought him to an infirmary and he wasn't allowed to have any contact with his parents for like months. So mm. for like several months while he was a child, I don't remember exactly how long, but it was horrifically long. He didn't get human touch. Which, you know, they didn't understand back then, I guess, that no. that's crucial to the yeah. development of a yeah. human being. Without it, you literally, a baby will go mad. Mm. And so then when he was older, one of the things his brother talked about, because his brother was the one who read the manifesto and recognized his brother's handwriting. Because it wasn't just a manifesto. It was the, way, the specific way that he was talking about things and mm. the way his understanding of technology and It was his brother. His Mm. brother had this like crazy anti-technology philosophy a long fucking time ago. But Mm. he was saying that like if he made an advance on a girl and the girl rejected him, he would be horrific and angry and write letters and Mm. just berate her. Like it was crazy where he had to go. What the fuck are you doing? So he knew his brother was just broken. He was always broken. So to take that guy and yeah. you dose him up with LSD yeah. and humiliate him, yeah. like they made a fucking monster. Yeah.
0: And 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 who did he attack? Like the the UN in Unabomber, his universities. He 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 took his. You know, it was revenge on the intellectual class who were kind of creating this world he he yeah. hated. It's like um, it was about Elliot Rogers, the, the the spree killer. You know, mm-hmm. he he felt rejected again and again and again by the by the pretty girls of the world. So his brain told him this horrifically misogynist story that girls, women were responsible for all the evils in the world and decided to go out and, you know, kill a bunch of them. That's what the brain does. It tells us these stories that the people who are responsible for my lack of status
1: are evil and they must be destroyed. Mm. It's a horrible pattern. Mm. It's a horrible pattern that people get into. Mm. And, again, not not really that commonly discussed. No. it's only We only discuss the actions themselves, not the root cause of it. Mm. But how do you get a guy like... El- that Elliot Rogers mm. guy. How do you how do you fix that? How do you stop that from happening? Well, he he left behind a, a,
0: a like a I think it's eighty thousand word autobiography called My Twisted Life. Did somebody uh, publish it? He, he he put it on the internet before he did his killing. He's wow. he killed six people, and it's an incredible read. Like, <laughs> like I'm not joking. I reckon, really? Like yeah, it's it, it's it's horrific, but he's brutally honest about himself. Like he, oh. he, like he you know he, his life was. Absolutely miserable, and so what I found was really interesting was that he that he, he he always starting in adolescence he felt where well, he was bullied relentlessly at school, um, and, and he 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 was desperate for a girlfriend, and he just was just weird around people in general. But he was kind of holding it together because he was obsessed with World of Warcraft. So he would play World of Warcraft obsessively. He he got he got a lot of status in that he got to the highest level, which apparently is a very rare thing to do. And then what happens is that he he's just got these two or three friends that he plays World of Warcraft with at the Internet Cafe. And then he finds out one day that they, they're actually playing without him in secret because they don't want to play with him anymore. And that breaks him. That's the thing that breaks him. So he goes from just being a casual, uh, you know, Very unpleasant misogynist to somebody who is mentally ill. He starts talking about how. Is that
1: definitive though? Because what did they say? The reason why they stopped hanging out with him for? He might have been insane already. Well, he was
0: certainly wasn't. He certainly wasn't normal. But in, in his in his memoir, he goes from being an... Yeah, definitely a weirdo, like with, without without a doubt. But but then he starts then he starts telling a story where actually um, he, he's this kind of godlike character that that, that um, has a special insight in, in in the world, and the special insight is that um, all the evil in the world is because women choose jocks to procreate with and not, right. and, not, and not superior people like him. So what he's going to do is take over the world and abolish sex. Uh, because sex is at the root of all evil, and, and he's going to allow certain women to procreate under certain conditions, but only for the continuation of the species. And so, so this, he, he goes from just being a misogynist and an outcast to somebody who's mentally
1: ill. Well, call me cynical, mm. but I don't think people not playing World of Warcraft <laughs> with you can do that. I have a feeling Yeah, he might have already been out of his fucking mind. Yeah, he was That's get- just me. Well, yes, he was definitely getting that way.
0: But if, for me, it was interesting that his his only remaining source of status, was the of World of Warcraft, world Cup, was taken away from him. From him. Yeah. And, uh, and it was that day that when, he, when he has this revelation. So maybe it's the coincidence. I but bet he was
1: already out of his fucking mind. Yeah, yeah. There's
0: no way that just does it to you. No, no. I'm not saying he went it. from black the to status. white. It, it just yeah. went, it, uh, it, he went. The from, straw. He went from being a horrible, back. awkward misogynist to somebody who was having these fantasies of abolishing sex and that he was a god like that's a that's a that's a kind of
1: difference yeah it was the it pushed him over the edge yeah that that, that's what i think and there's a lot of people out there that are just on the edge yeah 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 so that's
0: why i think it's so that's why i think it's healthy to have you know lots of different status games you know i think i think the healthiest people have multiple sources of status
1: yeah you were talking about that in the trigonometry podcast like have more than one thing that you're interested in Mm. that way all of your Emotional self-worth is not invested in one particular thing that you do. Yeah, it's like a hedge. Really good advice. Yeah, i try to follow that advice. (laughs) Good. Yeah, I like to keep, I tell comedians too, you should have things you're interested in other than comedy. Have something you really love that's fun to do, something you engage, not just something you watch, but something you do. That's why I joined this,
0: volunteered for this crisis line, because it's like, the only thing Mm. I do is write. If this is taken away from me-
1: Right, right, right. It's- it's, That's interesting. Yeah, but also there's like something really powerful about helping somebody. Mm. You know, it's almost selfish. <laughs> it,
0: but <laughs> you know it, what I
1: mean. It is though. It is like it, like it definitely. It's um, um. I mean that in the best possible way. I, yeah, I, I don't really think it's selfish. I think it's wonderful. <laughs> but I think it's kind of selfish in that when I do really nice things, it feels good too. But that's but, that, but
0: that's again that's the st- <laughs> it's the status game. It's like we yeah.
1: we are wired to when, when we offer.
0: Earn that kind of virtue-based status. We yeah. want to feel good about ourselves. That's that's healthy. That's normal. Right. It's good. The fact that humans automatically reward each other and ourselves when we give to others is probably the most wonderful thing about our species. It's like an incredible thing that we do. Yeah. So it, it's not, it's nothing to be. I don't think it's anything to be ashamed of. That people feel good about doing good things. That's how it's ought to be. That's that's part of the reason why we do good things. We're wired to give to the tr- back to the tribe.
1: Yeah. And the only thing that stops more of it is people that are in severe despair. Mm. And then they get real selfish because they have to. They're looking out for themselves. Mm. That's one of the major problems with not addressing all the horrible spots in a, in a country. It's like you're just going to have more people in despair, mm. less people that engage in this status game in, a, in an enjoyable way, in mm. a beneficial way. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's one of those things that like, crosses both ideological boundaries. It kind of – and this is where I think we have a real problem is that so many people just subscribe to whatever one side believes because mm. of this status game. And they don't take into consideration like, why am I attached to this idea? What does yeah. it have to do with the other ones that I like? Yeah. Like, why are they all lumped in together? How come if I believe this, I also have yes. to believe in that? Because <laughs> yeah. that's what what it is. Like yeah. if I – if you tell me that you don't believe in climate change – I can guarantee you how you're going to vote. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I mean, that's it.
0: Like, like in the UK, like it's somebody that um, thinks that there should be more public money spent on buses, I can guarantee you. But also, but also, would also we more likely to be on the Palestinian side of the Middle Eastern conflict. One hundred percent. Buses, Middle East, yep. nothing to do with each other. But yep. they. But
1: and, and, and I've got. How this... do you feel about guns, sir? <laughs> yeah. Do you believe in the Second Amendment? Because I fucking do. And then I know how you're voting. That's it. I mean, I've got this
0: kind of idea that, that not once, always once you're past the age of 45 or even 40 if all of your beliefs line up with left or right then that something's gone wrong with your yes. life like by the time you're 45 you should be smart enough to have figured out that they've got some stuff right and they've got some stuff yes. right and you should have decided for yourself which is which Yes. That, that, that's and so when I meet somebody that's my age and they're just giving this sort of list of talking points from left or right I just think oh god you're, yeah. you're 16 yeah. You're a 16 year old. <laughs> you were <know>? 16-year-old.
1: <laughs> That's what's weird, yeah, right? Yeah. It's weird how some people will argue about something, and then when you just calmly and rationally ask him, like, why do you believe this? Yeah. Like, what's, what do you know about the studies that were involved in this? Like, what do you know about the origin of this? Like, what do you, like you, you can say it in the most peaceful way and just talk just like that. And they'll get hostile, yeah, because they yeah. don't have that information. Yeah, they just know that you must be some sort of a bad person. <laughs> yeah, if you're not following the narrative. Yeah, like come on, we all know what's going on. We all know. What do you want Trump to win? Yeah. Like, Everybody, knows. Everybody knows.
0: Everybody ah. knows. It's
1: well known that. Yeah. yeah. And they get angry yeah. with you. Yeah. Are you stupid? <laughs> Are you stupid? You really believe this? Like, I just want to know why you believe it. I didn't say what I believe. Yeah. And they, but yeah. people can't engage like that. No. Very few people can like stand outside their ideas. And one of the things that I always try to tell. As many people that listen, one of the things that's benefited me tremendously is when I stop being attached to my ideas. I don't believe in my ideas. I do in the sense that these are some ideas that I have, and uh, I wonder if this is right. But if if it's not right, I'm not I'm not attached to it. Mm. Like I can go, oh, I used to think that, but now I know this, and that doesn't diminish your worth. And, but what does diminish your worth is if you fucking cling to that yeah. other stupid thing, even after you know it's not real. Yeah. That's just dumb. Yeah. like You're not your ideas. You're just a human being that's interfacing with a fucking shitload of information. And most of it, you're only going to have a peripheral understanding of. You know, ask most people, how's the sewage system work? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you don't yeah. know, it's so important <laughs> You yeah. use it every day. How does it function without electricity? I flush, yeah. it comes back. What the fuck's going on? Most people have zero idea, but it's like a critical part of their yeah. day. That's it. And that's, that's about
0: active belief. It's the beliefs that, yeah. that become part of our identity. They're the dangerous ones. Right. Because th- 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 those are the ones that are that, that are status generators for us. Our, yes. status is, our status depends on this idea that about biological women or mm-hmm. about who, about white versus black, men versus women, and then once once you're in that yep. space, you, you can't trust your own thoughts because no. your brain isn't thinking what's true. Your brain is thinking, how can I defend this belief? How can I defend this belief? Because this belief is me, I yeah. am this belief. This is my my status game, it's based on this belief.
1: Yeah, and it's a really dangerous trap that everyone can fall into, all of us. Mm. That's why cults are so terrifying to me. They're not terrifying to me because uh, I look at these people, like, oh, they're so stupid. You know, these, these fucking dummies are going to ruin the world. No, I, I, I'm terrified because that could have been me. Yeah, That 100% could, I mm. think it could be anybody. And I think we are naive to think that we're not subject to the same kind of capture that many, many people have gotten into. Mm. Whether it's communism or whether it's socialism or whether it's Nazism mm. or one of these crazy fucking cults where people cut their balls off and wear the purple sneakers, <laughs> yeah. you could get sucked into it. Maybe yeah. not you. Maybe you are at a certain level of your life where you have enough sophistication and understanding and you're good at reading people mm. and you can recognize bullshit. But maybe you, you maybe you have enough for that, but maybe the next one will get you. Maybe mm. there's one that's a little bit better. And, you know, it's kind of a church, but it's a rock and roll kind of thing. And, you know... The-
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> one of the good... You know? So a thought experiment that I like is is this idea that... that um, That kind of shows that your irrational beliefs are invisible to you. So, when you think about the people that are close to you, like you can, you know, each one of those people, what they're wrong about. Like this person, don't get get them talking about that. No, this person's mad about that. And then the further you go out from your social circles, the more wrong and mad and crazy people get to you, get to the ball cutting cult and the communists. So that just leaves you in the middle, the island, of perfect island of absolute rationality. (laughs) So so you go, hang on a minute, that can't be right. So I'm not Jesus. Like, I must be wrong about some stuff.
1: How convenient. But when
0: you go looking for what you're wrong about, and you can't cheat by going stuff that you don't care about. Like, what, what ideas are really important to you? Well, I'm not wrong about that. I'm not wrong about that. I'm not wrong about that. So you can't see it. You feel like Jesus. You feel like I'm the most correct person literally in the world
1: you know logically you can't be but you can't see you can't find what you're wrong about especially if you're rationalizing everything that you do mm. and every idea that you have as being the correct idea Yeah, which is why it's so dangerous your your value your worth should not be entirely your ideas mm. that's crazy mm. <laughs> it's a, yeah. be, a terrible strategy <laughs> because you could have you could be hanging on to a bad idea yeah. and then you have to cling on to it and defend it you can't say, oh, that idea was bad. Yeah. Because that's you. You're yeah. bad. That's what's stupid about it. It doesn't have to be that way. Mm. You can just think of them as ideas. It doesn't mean you. But if you irrationally defend an idea, then it is you. Yeah. Well, as soon as as that becomes an active belief—a belief that you're acting out in the world—that's
0: causing your behaviour, that you're trying to spread to other people and convince other people it's true, then you're already on a slippery slope because you're already feeling irrationally about that. I've seen
1: it happen to brilliant people. Yeah. I really have. And it's so yeah. weird to watch. It's mm-hmm. like you lost them. They got bit by a vampire. Yeah. I, I did a
0: lot of writing about that. Do you remember the the, athe- the skeptics? Do you remember when they were mm-hmm. big? Yeah. yeah. Those guys were great. <laughs> yeah. But but it always struck me that they, they were also irrational about certain things. Yeah. And when I was doing my reporting, um, their, their their big kind of moral panic, kind of status frenzy was homeopathy. They were obsessed with homeopathy. like, And they were like, because homeopathy is just empty pills and it's ridiculous right. and da-da-da-da. Um, so... But I just thought this is weird because we know the placebo effects works; it's a real thing. So surely homeopathy is just a very elaborate placebo theatre. It works as a placebo, so it still works. So I put this to um, a guy who was a big, famous atheist. Uh, he presented a sort of very famous podcast at the time, and I said, "What about the? the it's a like it's a placebo effect. So it's it's surely it's a valuable." thing homeopathy and he said no 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 no. that's not right the data is in on this we know about this he said um what we know is um the placebo is only psychological not physiological so people think they're getting better but they're not getting better but it's like hang on a minute if the perception of pain has decreased, then the pain has decreased. <laughs> like yeah. if the perception of your depression has decreased, then the depression has decreased. Right, So, By so that so, measure, like, like Advil doesn't work. Yeah, exactly. So, right? so it's like this guy who is incredibly smart and incredibly well-known in the skeptic community had managed to convince himself that the... That, that, the placebo effect was this fake thing that didn't really work because it was only psychological. Just so to, to give him permission to sort of shit on homeopathy. It, but does the placebo effect
1: me. work in terms of curing diseases? No. Nothing. But things like pain. Zero? And I don't Just think pain? so.
0: Yeah, things like pain and depression. Things that are, yeah. So, 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 so it doesn't cure cancer. can't shrink a
1: tumor. But it does work with pain and depression. That's fascinating. Yeah. yeah. That's fascinating. Yeah, I mean, there
0: are well-known studies that show that, 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 that when you buy a brand—I always buy brand-name painkillers because it has greater placebo than the cheap supermarket-owned <laughs> brand. And it, 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 even when you know it's the placebo, it still works more. So that extra few bucks that you're spending on the, the brand-name painkillers Well, isn't there is just it. a
1: problem with calling yourself a skeptic? Because why don't just be a thinker? Yeah, it's like why why are you specifically looking at things and it's nah, I'm cynical, <laughs> you know, like that seems silly. Yeah. There's a lot of things that are real. Yeah, like what do you do when you stumble across something that's real? Well, yeah. I used to be skeptical, yeah. <laughs> but this turns out to be legit. Well, no, it's like you're yeah. just looking at everything hoping it's not legit because that's where you get your value and your status. Exactly, I mean, uh, your status from calling bullshit.
0: In in that um book I ended up meeting do you know James, James Randi? He, sure, yeah. he was their big god you know and he was um he he, he was a a very strange um, individual and as part of the interview I challenged him a lot the, on a lot of the things that he'd claimed in his life and he ended up admitting to me that he was he'd lied and been dishonest about his achievements in the past
1: oh no yeah what uh,
0: achievements well it, achievements and also um, lied a lot about the things he'd said about you know, he had this million-dollar challenge. Yes. Yeah. So, so his whole thing was like, it's an easy thing to do. If you prove anything uh, that's um, supernatural or woo-woo, he used to call it, you get a million dollars. And the fact that nobody had ever got this a million dollars was his proof that, right. that that none of this could exist. But there is story after story after story after story of people applying for this million-dollar challenge, him backing out at the last minute for spurious reasons, and then attacking that person in public. Uh... Um, so, so that happened again and again and again. I think the worst instance of that was this uh, greek again homeopathy person who who'd spent something like half a million euros setting up a study in a hospital to to test properly test whether this homeopathy worked and just on the eve of it happening he 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 insisted that it has it all had to start again and a pilot study had to be made huh. and, and and then and, and then blamed the other guy for pulling out okay. so you know, i came to him with a basically a binder full of this stuff and he eventually admitted you oh, yeah you know, I, I have been dishonest. I have been untrue. Wow. But one of the amazing things about that was, that was that I asked him at the end of the interview, after he'd admitted, yes, I've lied about this stuff. Um, I said, have you ever changed your mind about anything? And he was in his 80s at the time, I think. He couldn't tell me a single thing wow. that he had ever changed his mind about. That seems that crazy. Is
1: not a critical thinker. <laughs> 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 That's a stubborn asshole. If you <laughs> yeah. yeah. Me. And on that <laughs> note... Hey, man, thank you very much for being here. It was a lot of fun. I really, really enjoyed it. And like I said, I enjoyed your interview on trigonometry. And I recommend everybody go. It's a great podcast anyway. Uh, so thank you very much. And thank you for the book. And thank you for being able to like lay this out in such a, like I said, digestible way. Thank you, Joe. I really appreciate you having me on. It's been amazing. Uh, I, I enjoyed it. Thank you. Thanks. All right. Bye, everybody.